1: That's BlueNile.com. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League Rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your outguard, and get ready for an hour of nothing for NRL tour. And just like that Brock Another season Has come and gone
0: Yeah It seems like this year Went pretty quick To be fair um, Especially since Origin Like it only seems like Yesterday we were there Watching Tedesco score that try And We uh, Snatched a series And then All of a sudden We're there to watch A grand final That, that, I guess that 12 week period Went really really quickly I think the finals even mm. Felt as though it went Pretty quickly But um, Yeah look I, I think I'm ready for a break I'm not I'll, I'll miss the footy no doubt, but um, I do think the game game itself probably needs a a month to really dust itself off and have a think about where we go from here in uh, you know, a whole heap of different areas. But you know that we're going to cover. Uh, but all in all, I thought it was a it was a good grand final. There's a lot of people calling it one of the greats. I'm not sure whether it was one of the great grand finals, but uh, let's rip into it and, and have a chat about it anyway.
1: Well, you touched on it just then, and I guess everyone's done it to death, and there's been some comments made over the last few days that, um, about some of the controversies to come out of the game, uh, in all honesty. I think some of the comments that have been made have been a bit way too over the top to say it's the worst call in grand final history and things along that line. Um, I thought it was an absolute cracker game. Like you said, it was a different kind of game. It reminded me more of the 2016 grand final between the Storm and the Sharks. It was more of a dour game, a bit more end-to-end, that arm wrestle kind of game we got, but I was tired watching it. I thought both teams just absolutely ripped into each other. We well, were tired probably because um, we had 150 beers or Yeah, that probably goes on top as well. But I guess before we get into it, I'd probably rather address the elephant in the room that everyone's been talking about rather than doing it while we review the game. So yeah. the key Let's moment... Go. There's Off two the There's two key moments. Number one, we've said it before, we laughed about it, and I've said it to you, the trainers. Everyone knows on this show how much you hate the trainers being on the field. I don't disagree with you, but I'm more say most of the time, let's not talk about it, because every time we do, we're getting Now more, we all want to talk about it. It goes for 10, 15 minutes, but this is the whole point of why you've raised it so many times. I was Like I said, I was never denying you the right to, to say it, but it's just we've gone over it so many times, but this is why you've blown up plenty of times about trainers being on the field. And we're
0: un- not just... Not just because of this.
1: Well, they, I, they I, as a coach,
0: grade. like, and and look, I don't coach first grade. I'm no nowhere near coaching first grade. But if I had to have a trainer out there telling my team what to do, I don't think I've prepared my team correctly in the week leading up. And I think it's embarrassing that coaches need trainers out on the field to run them through every set and every play. Um, it, it's just it comes back to the insecurity and the overcoaching that exists in the game and the robotic nature of. How a lot of teams play. I have no idea why two minutes and 30 seconds in and an orange shirt. Because if you, if for those people that know the rules, orange shirts are there to, for, to treat injuries, blue shirts are there to run messages. So theoretically, and, and especially on the last tackle, blue shirts are allowed to be on the field from play two to play four. Okay, so they're allowed to enter the field basically when a kick reception and a tackle is made. Yep. They have to be off the field by the end of play four. This was play five. He wasn't treating an injury. It was two minutes and 30 seconds into the game. And it, it impeded Canberra picking up a ball. I don't think – a lot of people have said Whitehead would have scored. I don't think he would have scored. I think he probably gets tackled somewhere between the 20 and the 30. And Canberra on the front foot got all the momentum. What – just rolls me up is the the trainer running off the field laughing uh and just the fact that we don't have a rule for it the fact that we've had to get to this point despite people like myself banging on about it and saying that it's it's causing it's going to cause an issue and they shouldn't need to be on there to start with i don't understand why we couldn't just say if the trainers are on the field outside of these windows it's automatically a ten thousand dollar fine that's it problem solved if if a if a team's trainer is contacted by the ball, it's a penalty to the opposition team. Easily solved. Because there's there's absolutely no way in the world that Canberra should have been disadvantaged for that. Rooster's got the scrum, Rooster's got a repeat set, Rooster's scored a try. That's my take on it.
1: Well, I'm never gonna disagree. I'm not gonna bang that. on about it for fifteen minutes. No, we don't need to, no never.
0: You know, this is why I get the shits with them being on the field. They don't need to be on the field. I don't understand how we even enable it from you know from play two to play four. You're allowed to go out there and run your players through the sets. Like, is it fucking under sixes? Because that's what happens in under sixes. Go to under sixes. The trainers are out on the behind the play, telling the players what to do. That's what happens in mini football, and well, we've just enabled mini football to take over um, in the NRL. It's it's fucking poor.
1: Yeah. Well, in all honesty, for their side of things, I don't think, I don't even know his bloody name, I don't think he, I've ever seen him out there that much in the regards oh, mm. of coaching, though. I, I don't think, I, I was trying to figure out, like you, more so why he's out there at that point already for an injury because there was a few guys who went in with an injury cloud, like Akiri, but he's the one kicking the ball. So unless there was something I didn't see in back player, I didn't catch up on or someone copped the knock, Within one of those first exchanges, I don't know why he was there. But, but even
0: still, I agree okay, with So you, even if he was on the on the field, be. he was standing there. He yeah.
1: should. If he was on his way
0: off the field and got hit, mm. I could cop it. Yeah. As an orange shirt. And and to be able to go back and look and see that he treated someone Mm. and then went off the field and then was contacted, I still don't
1: think Canberra should be disadvantaged. No, and this is what I, again, we don't have access to what the coaches do, that ant cam. I wish we had the ant cam to see. You'd be able to see. If a play or two before, I want to know if he was out there. With the normal Channel 9 thing, I can't see it. But from my recollection during the year, I'm not trying to defend the Roosters here, Tuma, Justin right. that's that's the name there, He's not really somebody who runs messages. He's generally only out there for your purpose, like you said. But then again, Hmm. they do take way too long to get off it. They should have to have a certain amount of urgency to be on and off the field, get out of the way. Even the fact that he was 10, 15 metres behind the plate, like he still shouldn't be sitting in behind. As soon as your job's done, you get off the field.
0: This is the one that's tweaked to everyone. However, there was a moment in the second half when Matt King was on the field screaming at the referee, trying to influence a referee. There was a moment where Brett White was almost in front of the ball... And the ball came across to the player he just walked in front of. Mm. So both teams had trainers on the field. I, yeah. I don't care about Roosters, Raiders. And I don't care if it's the Titans, the team I support. Do not give a fuck. They shouldn't be on the field.
1: Yeah, and I think Canberra almost got caught with their orange shirt with Charns when he was having the cramps when a ball came yeah. through off a deflection from the Roosters in a charge down. I guess again... So there you
0: go. There's four he, examples he was, that we've come up with He in was this game.
1: treating him for it, but it, at the time, like that was a critical moment for Chance to be switched on. The ball popped out the back from a charge down. That It was very close to hitting their yeah. trainer, and he ends up getting the ball and going 30 metres the other way. But
0: Was that the elephant in the room? Or I don't think there's a bigger elephant in
1: the room. No, the biggest elephant in the room, and it caused plenty of disagreement on the night between people at the ground, people afterwards majority of people afterwards think like we said it was the biggest call but uh, the worst call in the history of grand finals but the big call was obviously the six again call from the lead referee in Ben Cummins uh, live, I was blowing up as soon as I seen his hand go up for six again because I thought you know, by hell and high water there was no way it came off a rooster I thought it was 100% off Bailey Simonson and the fact that he'd Put his hand up and signalled it. I lost the plot thinking like, you know, they've just been under the pump for God knows how long. This whole second half's been their dominance and a call like that's gonna cost them the game. To only find out live when it was overturned, once we got home that the pocket ref has instantly touched him up, and in his tone of voice, he does not say six again directly, he almost asks it like a question. Then you hear the instant feedback from the pocket ref and the touch judge. uh I think the biggest off camera. Yeah. Off Canberra, so he instantly goes to fifth or last. He says it four times. They offload a couple of times. The play goes for another seven or eight seconds, and then they're all shocked, obviously, when it's called off. The two main points, I guess, to take out of this are during the year we've seen multiple occasions, and I'll defend this side of it, where the pocket referee said that's a penalty or this is that, and a lot of the time the lead referee's given the brush. Um, so on this occasion, obviously, that wasn't the case. But my second thought, and I... I feel a, a massive sympathy for any Canberra fan or anyone that watched that moment and saw the six again and Jack Whiten because <laughs> even though on the, the ref's mic I clearly heard it four times, him say fifth and last while they offloaded twice and threw the ball around hmm. he's played on from that, we were there it was absolute pandemonium at that yeah, point you know how loud it he was. probably wouldn't have heard a thing, much like the other year when everyone was saying Chambers should have passed that ball inside and it was absolutely gone spastic at the time and we, he didn't pass inside to Kronk because there's no way in hell he would have heard it hmm. So I, I, I massively feel the sympathy for the Raiders fans, and it was the wrong was it the wrong call, but, like, but yeah, at the same the time, call. I go the opposite way, I think. Like what it I was, was the wrong, wrong call. It was the correct decision, but he signaled the wrong call. So my issue with it, and I, I think it's more the sentiment, is people wanted the Roosters to lose. I feel like they wouldn't have really cared or wanted it to go the other way if Canberra scored off the back of it, which to me is an even worse result because if it's the wrong call in a grand final, it's as big... If not a bigger fuck up to get that decision wrong in a decider, people go, "Oh, well, they, you know, you should have followed his gut and got it right." But it, if that goes down and they get six again and they do score a try, to me, it's just as bad. And on the backside of that, for the Raiders' side of things, there was nothing that stopped the Raiders from defending that set. Yeah, It was the wrong call, like you've said to me, but the correct decision to like to get to the correct decision. It was manufactured. I think you said to me with an incorrect call. Yeah. What. Watching it live, I didn't even notice it.
0: Watching it live, I went, "Okay, that's back off Raiders, play on, tackled." I didn't understand what all the fuss was about. Alive at the ground, hmm. um, and then obviously,
1: I saw Cummins. And people are blowing it. up
0: saying that he's ruled six again. So I sort of thought, well, they've got the right result. And then once we obviously once we got home, and you hear that, you know, the well, we got in know, we got an Uber, and they were going nuts about it. So. Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. The only way you get a fair decision there is if you stop the play where the infringement happened and you give Canberra play the ball and then you just play last play again and reset. That's the only way this, this ends up fair, okay? To call six again would have been a travesty against the Roosters because that, Tedesco didn't touch it. They were get, a breaking point. Yeah, get all point. that. That's fine. <laughs> Canberra have been disadvantaged because they haven't been able to – Correctly affect their last tackle option as they would have if they knew it was last tackle. So they've been disadvantaged, I think, for one play. I don't... I, I know, like, people want to carve up Ben Cummins, and I'm not the biggest fan of Ben Cummins' as refereeing style. Uh, you know, <laughs> week to week, and I, I've been pretty critical. I, I was critical, sort of, of the referees because I thought they'd blow the pee out of the whistle in our preview last week. But I... I think there's been a, a massive overreaction on this. Uh, I thought it was, again, yeah, right decision, wrong process, and it was manufactured the wrong way. And I thought Canberra players ha- and fans have every right to blow up. But what I would say to them is that you were disadvantaged for one play. One play. They they got it wrong. The referees mm. got it wrong. And I, they got the call right, yeah. the process wrong. So you were disadvantaged in that Whiten couldn't put a kick in. If you go back and watch Whiten or Caesar and their last tackle options for the multiple sets before, they weren't that great. Uh, I I don't know. I didn't think it cost them the game. I thought they had multiple chances. They had 10 minutes where Kronk was off the field. They had Leilua go away down the right edge. He didn't pass it. Then in the following set, I I think they were impacted. I think there was a flow-on effect through the disappointment of that non-call, and then they just clocked off. In the next set, and the Roosters got him, and and I agree with what Trent Robinson said in regards to well, we took advantage of that call, or you know, and and but I just think that it's it is hard for Canberra fans to cop that and go well, fuck me, man, like you took took advantage of a call that went against us, but as professional athletes, you need to flush it, you know that you know you just got to cop the referee's decision, my whole thing, and play on. Like we we always say, you teach players from. You played you know, the first whistle, time you picked the ball up, yeah. You, you played at play play the Western and and the, the call minute. is the call. Yeah. And they got pulled apart fairly on that right edge and they clocked off rightly or wrongly. Mm. And it did, it cost them the game. So do I think it had an impact on the Rooster scoring that try? Like I do. I do think it did. But I don't think Canberra can blow up about that at all. Like like you've got to be on there. You've got to be on. You've got to be well, defending correctly. You've had you were disadvantaged for one play. You then let it impact you the next set.
1: They had. That's all, not on the referees, that's on the players All the territory, all the possession <laughs> yeah. They were dominating the game They had 70-30 possession at that point Kronk, as you said Well,
0: they, they won 2-0 while he was off the field Out of the
1: bin, they had the penalties go their way I thought the Tokiaho one with the hand on the ball was wrong I thought the Angus Crichton one Yeah, but let not going to I'm just saying, every penalty No, I'm not, but I'm just saying They had everything kind of in a 20-minute period there mm. And my point to defend with kind of what you're saying Which would have killed me if I was Ricky Stewart I'm obviously blowing up at the time And I completely understand why they're angry My whole point like before was, at the end of the day, we did get the correct decision. I thought it would have been a bigger travesty if it went the other way, but it was still eight-all. They've got no reason to suddenly just fucking switch off when they've just completely dominated and they had all the energy and all the running. Mm. The Roosters had shown no sign of life prior to that with the ball because they'd been absolutely flogged and gassed in attack.
0: And look, hypothetically, if Canberra then did kick it and got a repeat set, you wouldn't be hearing about it. If Canberra then defended that next set and ended up winning the game, you wouldn't hear much about it. I think the worst thing for the referees was the, the Roosters, Roosters scores the, next set. That's the I mean, worst I'm thing. I'm for agreeing the referees.
1: with this. <clears throat>
0: but yeah, it was just more than That's my fact. take on it anyway. I'm not saying my take's right. I, live, I didn't even notice it because I thought they got the call right in that oh, I didn't see Cummins signal six again.
1: Well, that's the first thing I saw. And I, I didn't,
0: it. Um, I just thought, oh, that's back off the Raiders play on. And then, you know, all the pandemonium and shoot. I was like, well, what? I just thought that it was the right call. Yeah. And I, I thought,
1: Ennisley's words probably summed it up to me in the best possible way. I said it was messy. The sad thing is, this is martyred and it's what it's going to be remembered by, even though it was the correct call. It shouldn't be. But for Canberra fans, I can shouldn't. completely understand where you're coming from. And I've only thought about today <laughs> in some of the inbox, some of the things I've seen. We might lose listeners because people might be that goddamn filthy that we don't look at it. Probably no.
0: What, but what do you want? What, okay, okay. So for listeners, what do you want me to say? What do Canberra fans want me to say? It was the wrong. It, you got duddled on one play. Yes. Yeah. But di- it didn't cost you the it game. Didn't cost you the game because there's no guarantee that you would have gone on and scored. scored. That's it. Yeah. Because you'd had you'd had ten minutes where Cronk was off the field and you couldn't score. Mm. I I don't understand why Joey Lalor isn't getting roasted as hard as the referees because he fucked up.
1: Mm. He got caught on the ground. He should have executed that pass. He threw it forward after. He but didn't he didn't take the even. He line. got it
0: wrong and couldn't even get the right result. At least yeah. the referees got it wrong and still got
1: the right result. Really. And I that that play.
0: I'm not going to apologise to Canberra fans. I know. I know you. I know you're filthy. And look, I would have loved nothing more than to see Canberra win. I'd be more um, filthy. I, I, but I thought the Roosters absolutely earned their premiership. I, I yeah. cannot. And I agree with you. I them. cannot take anything away from what the Roosters did the other night because I walked away from that game and I said in the preview last week that Canberra were going to have to complete it over 85, and they did. They were going to have to get the Roosters on an off night, and I think they did. They were going to have to have some things go their way, and they did. And they still couldn't win. Because when you line the teams up on paper, I'm sorry, the Roosters have got a better team. And there were always going to need to be those little things go their way. And look, I thought enough went Canberra's way for them to win the game.
1: And I also think, on the flip of what you've just said, they had to get kiri Needle coming into the game. They lose Orbison... 10 minutes into the game they risked it to get the biscuit by playing Jake Friend which I didn't expect them to do they dropped an international forward and in Zane Tadavano like it wasn't all smooth sailing but I think the one thing no. we can say whether they got it done easily last year comparing the run of the finals like you said or them being better the one thing you cannot question is this side defensively and mentally and the strength and like just the overall intent and commitment across the 80 minutes to defend their line and scramble and just bust their ass was amazing. The
0: credit to them, and we know what it's like to try and win back-to-back comps. We've won back-to-back comps in a under-20s format in a local competition, which is, that was hard to do. But across two years, we won it in two different ways. And the Roosters, over two years, have Definitely. won it in two completely different ways. And
1: I'd say to the point of people the other day, and even your point, and it's not arguing the point, I think they had it harder this year than they did last year. Well, they, I thought last year's more...
0: team, I would say right now, last year's team would have beaten this year's Roosters team on that grand final night by 20.
1: I'm just saying in terms of injury, origin representation, the spine yeah, no, was never on no the field together. Like, I, I really do. No and, and the fact they blow. Blooded... But
0: that's, that's why, come the end of the year, I thought they were beatable. Mm. Because they didn't get it all their way. No. And you, you never do. I, I think if they had smooth sailing the whole year, they could have won the grand final by 30.
1: If that spine was healthy, but they stuck weren't. together. But On the upside of that, and I touched on this during the year, I think they found more moving forward just from those kids. So like, I, I was stoked that they stuck with Nat Butcher. Verrills is clearly the heir to the throne. of have the got at nine, yeah. There's going to be have to be made in the next couple of years, as much as they love Jake Friend. We saw glimpses of Tupanour and some of these other guys and, like, James
0: Sedesco has been there now two years, so he's coming into his prime. Well, he's in his prime, but.
1: Yeah. And.
0: You know, if people could cast their mind back to the start of last year, the first two months of James Sedesco's existence there they, were, were poor. Yeah, crunk, they, they really like, struggled.
1: They and, had to completely learn how that all works. Yeah. And the big effect I think what many people have talked about from Kronk, I still don't think his two years on field were outstanding. In all honesty, I think the bigger effects going to be what Robinson's more touched on off the field and what he's given to Kiri and Tedesco and all the players and the club in general. And then hes pro- I'm, I have no doubt they're going to have him stick around along with Kiri, Tedesco, friend, book coordinator, etc., all these guys to help Flanagan usher in the next side of this. And then you've got that kid, Sam Walker, who's only 16, <laughs> turning 17, coming in. So they've got their next two halves of their future almost sorted there along with the number nine who's only 20. Like, Verrill's played New South Wales 20s this year. He was mm-hmm. eligible to go back and play flag. He didn't play flag. He didn't play Cup. He won a grand final and scored a try and did a pretty fucking good job for the time he was on the field. So, yeah. uh, for whatever they lose, they've they've got a lot, a lot more positives to come. But it's certainly they didn't get it their way this year as far as health and a lot of things. And even like the former someone like Betrell Mitchell, you're talking about potentially a top five player or the best player in his position who I thought disappeared off the face of the earth basically after the origin period and had a lot of stuff going on in his life, which I completely understand. And I hope that he, you know, gets through all the struggles. And there was obviously some very bad things being said on social media and all that kind of stuff. And you, you still got to remember he's only twenty twenty one. Yeah. But, like, one of their best players to me literally had next to no impact on their finals run and their way in. Yeah. Um. You know, friend, like we said, missing and they replaced him with a kid. Corden missing an eight-week period, like... This was certainly no smooth sailing. No, and then they played Melbourne last week without Jared Ray Hargraves, uh, who is an absolute must for their forward pack, and they got the job done again. So I think those two moments are probably the main two I want to touch on, but on with you. If I'm a Raiders fan, I'm more pissed off about the trainer situation, and that rule is just dinosaur level that they've used. I think they put up that it was from the Rugby League International Federation book that they applied the rule of the ball hitting somebody within your attacking half means you get possession. But like you said, from an NRL point of view, the rule doesn't actually apply to trainers. So something They're not the, officials. No. So something needs to happen in the off-season in that regard for the NRL. And as you've touched on many times before, I never said it as in I didn't want you to talk about it, but we just, we'd just we gone on about it so many times for that reason that the moment it is going to pop up, it's, it's going to leave a bad taste in everyone's mouth and it happened in the grand final. So the NRL needs to start finding clubs like you said, any reviewing that? Yeah, but get serious, I know, like
0: Todd Greenberg came out and said, Oh, you know, this will give us a chance to really come down on trainers.
1: You're the leader of the game. Alfie Langer lives on the field. Like people like that. Like, you decide s- yeah. when
0: and where is the appropriate time to come down hard It's on a trainers. piss take. So maybe if you did it earlier in the year, you wouldn't have been on the field and we would have actually seen a contest for the ball there.
1: Well, it's got to get more to the point, like you said. If they see it week to week. Even without warnings, like if they do their video review and they're seeing everything and there's just trainers lingering, 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 not leaving for play for instantly every week it's just ten grand. And if you breach it three times, then it gets up to twenty grand and they just smash the club. Yeah, maybe a sliding scale, yeah. Until you know well, if, however
0: they're gonna do it. If just-
1: you do it five or six times in a season and they all tally it up, that's close to a hundred and a hundred grand or ninety thousand dollars in fines by basically saying, like get off the field, don't be involved in anything near the middle of the rock or be able to be there if the ball is intercepted or deflected like they just shouldn't be on the field for play five unless someone's down injured they shouldn't be on the field for play five yeah plain and simple so that one I think like you if I'm a Raiders fan I'm bigger on but the other one um, you were dudded but I'm more with Brock's opinion you were dudded for one play the correct call came it was manufactured in the wrong way but I don't think I can agree with a lot of the ex-players in particular that are saying that's the worst call like the call was correct so I don't, I don't know how... Like, the fact he signaled again, yeah, I, I know that. But they intervened. There was multiple calls. I highly doubt Jack heard it. So I do feel for Raiders fans because I was like you said, they would have put the kick in. We don't know what happens. But I think it's all exacerbated more by the fact they scored the next set. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, after all the pill they had, all the dominance, all the possession, I'm sitting there thinking, well, there's no fucking excuse to not have the energy to come up with the play there because you're completely on top and in control. It's 8-all. You're not behind. Yeah Like they're trapped inside their tent they're, They can't get out And they've mustered up the energy after all that dominance And showed no sign of life to be able to make I think it was two plays And then they shot their left side to bits
0: mm-hmm.
1: Like oh, it's it's crazy And it, it lent more to the whole point of what I was getting at before Like the Roosters didn't get this win the easy way mm-hmm. Like they were in my opinion on a standing eight count The Raiders yeah. just couldn't throw the punch Yeah They couldn't throw it so I, I I really do sympathise with all of them And like I said if, if people are that dirty on the opinion Or don't agree I, I really do apologise But yeah I, I thought
0: No, you're totally entitled to your
1: opinion I think the correct call was made In the in the wrong way But I look at it from the flip side And Paul Kent and a few people have Even said it like Do we think people would have felt worse If it went the other way And they scored And I think My point's not too far off People wouldn't have Because the Roosters were the villain the Cinderella story was the Raiders. I think everyone wanted the Raiders to win. Yeah,
0: to me, see, to me that doesn't even come into my head. I don't, I don't care. No, nah, where, where. I, I, I I'm right with you.
1: I, I'm we're both neutral to the game, and you know I did tip the Roosters, and I was fairly critical, especially of Caesar. Um, you started,
0: I tip the Roosters and as well. a few others,
1: but then on the flip side of that, I think some people probably don't know this, or some did message. I played for Canberra. I still have friends at Canberra. I would have been stoked for Jack and Josh Papali and a couple of the guys that I played with, and still. And friends with, and <laughs> I love that club. Don Fernar is one of the best operators in the game. There's still a lot of good people down there. For me, it was good both ways. I, I was just looking forward to a ripper game of football, but I'm more bothered again because for almost the last two days, just being a neutral but more a football lover, I, it angers me that this is what we come to again. We always seem to come out with something well, to question or it. some kind of asterisk, so it pisses me off in all honesty. Because
0: I certainly didn't walk away from the game going, the referee's... Um, lost the game yeah. or won the game for either team? Did they have an impact on the game?
1: Yeah, yep. but, but player or they, coach, always do. Yeah. they always Just do. They always do. Just from rewatching the game, though, I honestly, I I, Canberra had to win that game and they couldn't. Yeah. The Roosters were there to be had and they couldn't. And even them.
0: as a coach, like I, I could go through. I've coached now for thirteen years, and I could honestly say that there's maybe a handful of games in that time where I've really thought like the referee really cost yeah. us the result. The majority of the time. Have we got a dud call here and there yet? But you can go back and look at a thousand things that your team could have done differently as well. Yeah. So everyone's got to have accountability. As soon as you try and push and move accountability away from yourself or away from your team, I think it's just a dangerous precedent to set because every good culture, good organization, good team takes accountability first and foremost. Accountability is at the the forefront and the first person who needs to be accountable is you and your team. Not anyone else.
1: Well, some quotes that came after the game. I think the grey man is the one, like I said, that it was the correct call, but the fact that it was ruled the wrong way is going to leave.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I think he pretty much summed it up. And then the other guy, I don't know, a lot of people aren't a fan of him, but I think the best referee of all time to me is Bill Harrigan. And when he initially saw it all before all the details were clarified, he wasn't happy with the call. He was happy enough after that if that was the correct call and both touches and the pocket got involved, even though he said that he hates it because he thinks the lead should just stick with his opinion and go with it he basically was saying if they've intervened for that reason and it's the right call, that he'd live with it. And then he also had the ref audio, like I'd heard, where it was, is that six again? And he moved his arm, and it was more a question, and they quickly told him. And then he cleared it coolly, clearly four times, while they offloaded twice and were kind of running fifth and last, fifth and last, fifth and last. And they said to him, similar to us, surely they didn't hear him. He said, look, if you're a referee, you've got to put yourself in a position where they hear you, you scream your lungs out, like... Yeah he, he, After a bit of that He said I'm kind of Happy with it Ricky Stewart I thought Handled it absolutely Outstandingly Considering so did I. The game The All the players Were great I thought Jack Ward I thought everyone
0: and, Handled it well I thought Robinson Handled it well
1: Yeah I know some people Thought he was Narky with Thurston. I, I thought what he Asked Thurston Was completely fine. Like what do you Like what do you Want me to say Like what do you Want from it that We could go back And review things Like set a couple Of the penalties Or different other Moments Like there's more Than just one Moment in a game mm. But they iced it When they got Their one opportunity yeah, They really did ice it so. But Ricky Stewart in particular I think No ref goes out there on purpose To destroy a game Or make the wrong decision And he didn't want to speak To Graham Enersley, uh Which is It's fair enough And I think the other way He wanted to unleash But he would tell the media What do you think If that's what you think Write about it Like you're not going to get Anything out of me um, yeah. Full credit And the other thing is He credited the Roosters Like we were saying For the effort Because I'm sure he sat there On the other side of it Probably for that 20 minute period Going how the fuck Do we get through This team <coughs> man <Yeah>. short inter- <laughs> like it didn't matter what they did they just they were the liquid man every time you fucking put the shotgun to the head and blew a hole in it it just reformed and covered up yeah. any time they stabbed it or it bled the 20 to 1 offload count like it they just scrambled their asses off the roosters and Morris covered up absolutely everything there was 5 or 6 7 maybe contests where I thought Croker who usually is a ripper in the air and his kick pressure was excellent right? he just couldn't get the ball Yeah, like they covered absolutely everything and I thought they were on the back foot for the majority of the game so uh, yeah, absolutely crazy The other one that people I think Were less contentious of Was the sin bin on replay Watching it when I come home If you, you apply the rules as they were applied all you, It was a sin bin I thought live it was almost simultaneous But when you watch the slow-mo Whether he's millisecond early on slow-mo or not The fact he hits his arm up is the reason Papali doesn't get to catch the ball Do I think to the other extent where people were going It should have been a, uh, a try No that wasn't a penalty try. There was two or three guys that were released off the inside. Cronk hit him half decent. I think they would have covered up for that, but it was it a professional foul? Hundred percent. I have no problem with that call. So mm-hmm. that's. Well, I have the
0: I have an issue with the interpretation, but I think the interpretation and the application of the rules was consistent okay, with what we with saw what this was
1: during the year. So.
0: I, I don't like the fact that if if that happens thirty meters up the field <clears> yeah, that he's not simbin. A- like that was a millisecond decision. Uh, and I think I'm probably out on an island on that one. I just don't think that is a significant enough offence uh, to warrant a sin binning. In my head, when I think sin bin, I think intentional act to yeah. stop a try. Absolute. Like, that was absolutely. just an absolute millisecond. Yeah. Um, it it Like, I think penalty, definitely yeah. penalty. It wasn't like, the yeah,
1: origin ones we've seen the last few years, like Roberts or something, like grabbing someone blatantly or like, he spent
0: ten minutes in the bin for that. I think is just overkill. But and on the flip with, side, when you're looking at the interpretations of what happened all year, it was a correct course. So I don't have I don't have an issue with. And
1: that. as coaches, you'd be filthy on your player if he doesn't get up and jam there when he looked like he was going to hit a gap. Like yeah. he landed on the pass, he got him at that moment. Like he was the insiest binty bit early on slow mo on the live full speed replay. I thought he timed it perfectly. I thought he just hit the bloke as you want to do put that grass behind you so a big man can't barge over a half and get over the trial. End. But when you slow-mo it and you go off... And, you loop, know, so people
0: he... go, well, it was close to the line. It's like, well, yeah.
1: So you got to But defend that,
0: your also, line, like... that also dictates what Kronk's yeah. got to do. He's got to get off hard. And they were three around the post when that tip-on came. And I've heard people say, well, he could have... If he caught the ball, he could have dragged Kronk into the in-goal and scored. I'm like, no way he
1: there was, scores there 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 was inside guys really... I don't, know. I, don't I,
0: I, was... I don't think there's a chance in the world, unless Cooper misses the tackle, which he didn't, And I don't understand how a millisecond later he was any more or less chance of missing that tackle.
1: Well, if you told me, could he score from that? Yeah, but is it guaranteed? No, a good result
0: there, I think, would have been for Papali to catch it because it was a pressure pass. Mm.
1: It's not guaranteed, though, that he scores. No. Is there a scenario where I can see him shredding him, getting low, beating Tedesco on the inside cover? Yes. But is it a 10 out of 10, 100% guarantee? No. So you can't give a penalty try. That's why that interpretation I was completely off of. But... Mm that probably covers all the drama points and big points here but we'll quickly run through the game as a whole uh, like I said I really enjoyed it I thought it was excellent Canberra come into it 1-17 to I think they handled the we- uh, the week really really well they're up for the game they're ready to rock and roll the Roosters we were wondering what they were going to do with their lineup. obviously mm. the big call came Tenavano who I thought would be ruled out and they'd keep Nat Butcher that was the case they picked Friend yeah. we weren't sure exactly we-, we talked about would you start him would you bench him I kind of thought you'd rather start with him just because the style of play, you don't really put him into an impact player. I'm not saying he's got a one-trick pony. He can manipulate the rack. He does have a little bit of a kick, but compared to a Verils, and especially come off a calf injury, you wouldn't have expected him to be the impact kind of play. You thought you'd get into the dirty period, but they stuck with Verrells, um, and I guess in the end it paid dividends, really, because when you look at it, the kickoff, I thought the game, both first sets, you got exactly what you thought you were going to get. I thought the intent and the carriage from the Roosters... The aggression from the Raiders, their defense, especially their stick on the night, was super effective. I think I looked. Their missed tackles were 30, the roosters were 40, which is a result of scramble, but their ineffective contact, they had one ineffective tackle for the whole game, yeah. which tells you that every time they were in there and they stuck, they were in. Like misses were scramble efforts or one-on-ones, et cetera, broken play, but the effectiveness of their tackles, they were right up for this contest, the Raiders, and it showed. But a little bit of back and forth early, obviously the big moment, very very early in the game is it three minutes or so the uh the Kiri kick the charge down had a few people messages again one was a neutral couple of roosters fans questioning whether the hit on Kiri is no different to hitting any other kicker in the air during the year mm. I thought looking at it on replay I, I showed it you before you didn't think it was I was kind of get I, I could kind of see where they're coming from the fact he's left the ground and I thought sorry, I lost sight of him and he got his legs but how simultaneous he'd already launched and taken. Like I don't know what else he really could have done. So. He gets the ball. I wouldn't go for the penalty on that one, but a,
0: a, any contact post getting the ball is
1: irrelevant. Yeah, <clears throat> this obviously puts him in a hole here. That call it is a big call very early on. They go on, they get the repeat set. Um, I think the they almost conceded right there. And one of the guys I was worried about coming into the game was Aidan Caesar. They went straight after him. They isolated him on the line. Boyd Cordner left him on the turf, and if it wasn't for Chance Nickel Clogstad, who had a hell of a game. He got under him. They could have been down, you know, straight on the back foot of that. They end up getting the repeat set. (coughs) Comes to Victor Radley, who had a ripper of a game. His threat to pass or tip on or play short this whole game really, really put them in good stead. But uh, his quick play the ball got Papali stuck at marker. And I think Soliola and Tapine both had their backs turned. Mm -hmm. So as soon as Verroes threw that dummy and went, Papali was a bit lazy at marker. He caught it to pine out, and that was the first of a few errors that Joe Tapine made in that game. He didn't have a great night, but that's cardinal sin. I, my thought at that point was if they're going to concede a try from dummy half five minutes into a grand final, this could be a very, very long night. Uh, in all honesty, that, that really wasn't a good sign early on, after the way they'd started the game. But uh, you're going from that point there, I guess. They restart straight away. They get the penalty from... Joe Pine play three next set so again he's had another negative effect on the game people call that one a 50-50 watching the game for a third time on replay it's clear as day Orbison's back to his feet he puts the ball on the ground Pine stuck his foot in there so mm-hmm. he's compounded mistake on the back of that you invite him straight down which is definitely never something you want to see and I I think the best thing for Canberra to come out of this is that when the Roosters threw some of the shapes down there, I thought they defended exceptionally well. I thought the, the edge in particular, Jack's edge, I was never worried about, even though Croker at times, I think, can be a bit frail. Him and Elliot Whitehead did an outstanding job all night, one-on-one, two-on-ones. Their release from the inside, their inside cover, like like watching it back now, I can understand why Jack, he was best on ground for Canberra by a mile. He, he was really, <clears throat> really, really good, but um, even the other side of the field, they were very, very good at defending that left edge. Latrell Mitchell was barely sighted or involved in this part of the game, but it just felt like for the first 10 minutes almost after that, that it was all roosters mm. and we we're waiting for them to basically just bust them open. But all that pressure was released when I think one of the halves got caught in field, and Boyd Corden ended up coming at one of the kicks and Hodgson grabbed it out of the in goal, dived uh, forward and, yeah, that kind of just released things a little bit there. So for the first ten minutes, I, I was generally thinking that it, it could kind of blow out early.
0: Yeah, and then post that, you go, well, Mitchell, Mitchell Orbison went off with an injury, um, and are you talking. Were you talking about the one where the Roosters played at the ball, or we haven't got to that one yet? Haven't got Which to was, that it. It was yet. in about the fourteenth minute, but yeah, you've you've nailed it. Like I thought, after ten minutes, I really thought, oh, this could this could blow out. <coughs> That's sort of where my head was yeah. at, well, that first... how easily they scored that try uh, and just how easily they were rolling down the field as well, the yeah. Roosters. But Canberra really steadied, like 8-0 down. Um, I, I thought they, they really steadied and they could have easily panicked and started to play outside of uh, what they designed to, uh, I guess, utilise to try and break the Roosters down, but they didn't. They steadied and got themselves back into the game.
1: Yeah, and from that <laughs> moment where they covered up that corner kick, they go four plays. they outside backs, as you expected, come in there. Like Leilua and Rapana, Kotrick had a positive effect in that sense. A play-forward penalty, and the Roosters, we know, they're one of the most penalised sides. They also make more <laughs> errors than anyone, which comes when you've got all that strike. But they compounded all that pressure they'd built by giving four plays away, giving the penalty, inviting Canberra down into their end. And in their first set, I honestly thought they were quite positive. Caesar took an early carry, and I thought that's a good sign. Uh, hopefully... That's, you know, a sign of things to come. And then, unfortunately, from that, uh, they had a try-saving opportunity there from Morris when they put that early kick in. And then, on play five, there was the scoot. Whitehead. Dummy yeah. half. I, I didn't understand why, of all things, first opportunity that early in the game against the Rooster side, you thought you were going to get a mm. dummy half. You and that's have...
0: where um, White and go, oh, sorry, Orbison goes off the field injured, mm. which was massive.
1: Well, him Massive. getting involved saves that try as well. But Yeah, yeah. but
0: him going off the field, like, it threw their interchange out. And Robinson said that at halftime in the coverage that, you know, yes, it has played an it has made an impact on our injury uh, – sorry, on our interchange plan. So um, and I think f- they then made a – did they make an error?
1: Well, from that, I think what we saw very early on is that they had the tactic to kick to that left-hand corner. So whether they thought they could out-jump Morris or pressure him, like he's a former State of Origin Australian representative – you got to pick your poison, I guess, with Tupo, him and Tedesco. But clearly, out of the three, they thought he was the one to target. Uh, he was rock solid all at night. But him and Tedesco were well, constantly... Well, what I would
0: say about that is I think that they wanted to tackle Manu, not Luttrell, out of dummy half on play two as well.
1: Well, I think Latrell doesn't really do a whole lot of dummy half work. Right? But, they...
0: but it kept him out of the game. Like, Latrell didn't go looking for the I mean, ball. No, he
1: certainly doesn't go looking for the ball. But...
0: So I thought it kept him out of the game. I-, I thought it was a smart tactic. And you'd much rather tackle Joey um, Manu from dummy half than what you would from... Shape with space one
1: on one. I'd also rather get Morris play one than Tupo. No, no, no. Physical. I
0: I agree with that. Mm. But I think there's more more to that as well. Where mm. you sort of you've got to pick your poison, as you said. And if it means that I I get the choice of can I tackle Joey Marney from dummy half or I tackle him with early ball, then clearly you'd rather you'd rather tackle him from dummy half mm. well, in then... a corner where he's only got one direction to come out. Because there was one play there, man, where the Roosters got tackled, Morris got tackled, and it might have been a three-metre short side. And Manu ducked up the short side and made 15 metres.
1: Well, that was one of the ones at the end there. It, it, it was at the owned, end, owned yeah, the but pole. I was like, far out, yeah. man.
0: Like, he's so quick and elusive. You, you really need to just know that he's going to go one way I, to be able to tackle him.
1: The way he moves for the size of him, he looks like one of those wacky, waveable, inflatable 2 men's out front of a car yard. Like, the mm. arms and the legs and he just being made of rubber. The way he offloaded that a couple of weeks ago when he put his arm around the back of something, like, he's literally stretch arm strong. And he's strong, and he's elusive. He's two-handed. He's got both
0: feet.
1: Yeah, and he's a baby, just like the Trellers. But um, it was very obvious early on what Canberra wanted to do. And full credit to Jack White, and I said that Caesar needed to take control of that kicking game. It hasn't been his strong point, especially in attacking kicks this year. But he was pinpoint all night. His left foot into that corner. He dropped it on a dime every time. They made sure that Morris was. Under pressure, they contested probably 80% of those kicks. They didn't give them much chance at all Mm -hmm. to set start very well. If anything, they did the one thing that the Roosters do to other teams better than anyone else. They just really put the strangle on their set starts. And then not long after, you got Victor Adderley, who gives away that penalty on play five. Obviously not something you're looking for. And we just kind of felt that swing start happen for a little bit there. The territory in possession kind of went their way. I think the main issue, and again, at the end of this game, we talk about all the ball they had. In good ball, they weren't impressive at all. Hodgson kind of struggled early in the game in particular. Caesar was way too negative. I thought he was too pre-line. They had this obsession with turning their players back under. Like The, the roosters of all teams, I don't know if they saw something on video, but of all the teams as far as inside tie and coming in from the negative side of the play of the ball or making second efforts, like the roosters to me weren't going to fall asleep back on the inside. No, He needed to do more with the football or engage a bit more. Jack more than did his job on the other side of the field. Every time he got the football, he was a threat. I,
0: I honestly thought Caesar didn't get a lot of quick playables balls, though. And, look, he made a couple of poor choices and shit passes. But a lot of it was just because the Roosters defended so well. And I, I thought both teams got away with a lot of shit in the ruck. And I didn't think there was a lot of foot he played. I thought Caesar should have run more. Early doors he ran, played really square... And it really opened up like a short pass inside or outside, but Caesar didn't adapt his game. He didn't then. He didn't then adapt to a the ruck speed and b just a style of play that was going to be effective. Mm. I thought the Bateman like the Bateman pass to Papali where the sin bin was caused like that was the way through the Roosters I think to float and hit short and just trying to get them to jump out of the line. I thought the the week before, if anything, like the way that Melbourne Melbourne like had so many set cracks at him. And they just could not break the roosters down yeah. on either edge. Where they got their trial was when Smith came out, hit a short man, yeah, got somebody got a quick to jump play
1: out or broke them down. And
0: yeah, sometimes, and this is probably a lesson that and, and someone should grab Aiden Caesar and tell him this. Halves a lot of the time, and I think modern day halves complain about a lack of ruck speed. Okay, that their fours aren't getting in the ruck, lack of ruck speed, or their nines not generating it, or the referees aren't enabling it. Sometimes you've got to tuck the ball under your arm and you've got to generate the ruck speed mm. because everyone's expecting you to pass Aiden. So you need to get... Like where Jack and scored, classic example of, okay, man outside, man inside, run. Yeah. And just bang off your left foot. And I, I, was, the, I, I was so critical of Camper pre-season saying that the Jack Whiten at six just wouldn't work and I've got to eat humble pie because I, I was totally wrong. Mm. Totally wrong. And he's just embraced his strengths and Ricky Stewart has formulated a little game plan, mate. Stay over there. We're not going to get you to kick a lot. Run, defend hard, um, and just give early ball. And he, he's played that role perfectly. Mm.
1: Well, I've said for um, years defensively. Yeah, that, I think he that's needed
0: a lesson for line. lesson for season, Aiden Caesar as a ball player. And I thought, and again, I, I've said it multiple times. I think he played his best footy at the Gold Coast, and that's not me being biased. I was disappointed when he left because he was playing some really, really good footy. Yeah. Uh, but he ran the ball a lot And he scored a lot of tries And he, he pushed up a lot So I think he's probably Just got to get back To his roots there And he, coming through the grades He was a runner of the ball well, So I don't know why maybe, maybe it's because He's got Whiten with him And well, he goes Well Whiten's but, doing A lot of the running I've got to had,
1: do He had control of the years Prior with Sam And a couple of other partners And he was supposed to be the I'm not defending half, him like I'm just saying just... I'm
0: just trying to think about What's going through his head
1: well, I don't know anyway, I just
0: I just think he should have run the ball more. Yeah. Because he, a couple of times, there, as you said, when he ran, he, he looked good. He found his front, especially early. But it just vanished. It no, did no, vanish. So and then they start to play and side, and sideways, and sideways and drop and under. And it and just and... was never going to work.
1: Yeah, well, I just... He, uh, and defensively, I, I still don't think he had that great of a night. But during all that... It that's... was a liability, defensively. Yeah. You
0: know that. You know that. A lot of halfbacks are.
1: Yeah. Well, they had an opportunity, again, early on there. I think there was a, a ball played out by the Roosters from a jack kick, Kotrick... Unfortunately, they plays at it. He thought that he, was
0: that was a critical play in the first half, wasn't it? Because was, it would have been six again. It's another one inside ten where they're building pressure there. And, and he, I don't, I don't know what went through his head, but it's a, it's a grand final, man. He's, he's probably thinking far out. Was it six again? I don't know. I'm trying to get the ball back yeah. in.
1: Yeah, he, just get the ball because it was so quick. I don't think he even kind of realised <laughs> no. or he didn't know, so he thought I better have a play. And, at this. and you know,
0: the unlucky one is that if it was a knock on or had been touched forward by Canberra, they would have come back for the infringement. But yeah. because it was charged down by the leg, there was no way to come back to. That six again call and you lose possession. It's just, that was a tough one. Mm.
1: And then from that kind of point there, the same thing we saw all night, which I have to credit him for, the Roosters wingers were dynamite. Bo Morris will play one-two all night under duress, regardless of what situation. And the other man, as he's been so well-known to do so in origin, had a great game. Boyd Corden loves taking just a dirty carry. Yeah, those three were the constants all night under all the duress they in, but in particular Tupac and Morris. And Morris, the amount of contests he had to come out of, like he had the game of his life. Like, on the Rooster side, I thought Jared was good. I thought Tupac was good. But on replay, bloody Brett Morris wouldn't have been far off getting the medal. He had a pearler of a game, I thought. Yeah,
0: look, live at the ground, I thought Warrior Hargreaves, hand down, hands down. And when Whiten got it, I was shocked at the ground. Uh, but on replay... I would say that I think Whiten was the best player on the field. He's, and I yeah, thought that Morris and Warrior Hargreaves were probably the best two players for the
1: Roosters. Yeah, I think Radley was very good as well in his time on the field. Talk yards just
0: the Radley made ball. a couple of little errors, gave away a couple of penalties. I, yeah, but I thought he was good. He was a I real
1: know. point of difference though, and especially late. Uh, well, yeah. He, he offered something they were lacking. And, he he yeah. had some variation, but... He's just a super player, Radley. He's 21. That's scary again, but... Off that set, we kind of talk about... it, like. Cordner at Caesar, that was the plan. They ended up reshuffling later in the game after he missed him and knocked on his ass a couple of times. The players around him were having to work exceptionally hard to kind of help him out. But again, as they do so well, the Raiders, Bateman helped him out. Leilua came in a few times, but they generally started to shuffle him out from the three-man to the two-man. Other times he was sitting on the wing. They'd got to the conclusion very early on that this isn't going to end well or we're going to lose Rucks if they keep getting to go after him. So,
0: ben, I get that. But that also affects your defensive cohesion in terms of your, de- your decision making process. I think the more they could have got him a second marker and played him as passive, would have been the ideal way to go about it, mm. and just to keep your um, your connection between your key players on that edge. But yeah, it, I mean they didn't get broken down very often. But you know the one that we're going to get to in the second half really cost them the game, didn't it? Mm.
1: That point earlier on that we spoke about, though, the start of the game was just frantic. though. I, I got it was the, mental. I got to the 21st minute. They were 9 from 9 from 7 from 7. The ball was basically in play the whole time. Yeah. It and was, Victor Radley
0: made the first error of the game yeah.
1: in the 22nd minute. And that was after he got a head knock, mind you, where yeah. he ended up going off. But that play exactly what you said, and I touched on it before. Joe Tepine didn't have a great night. The third critical play he's made in his first 20-minute stint where he cracks Victor Radley. That one I can't really knock him for. He's been cut down low, but the arm did get him. He gave him the old Heave-ho on the face So that one gives him The 8-0 lead Yeah He luckily drops it Off the kickoff though So 8-zip there They get a bit of a reprieve For The Roosters though The fact they lost Orbison But then they got the HIA Pines, kind of Done them a favour Because they got Tokiaho on the field For free at least For 15 minutes there To kind of make up A little bit for the fact They dropped the Orbison interchange So that wasn't all bad that's news where for the the You have
0: an interchange plan But your interchange yeah. plan Has got to be adaptive On the run Well they
1: still only use seven But that there was a freebie Where they were like Well we're entitled right. to that's it right yeah. Yeah. We, We've got that So we're taking that right now And it mm-hmm. was at the perfect time 22, 23 Victor probably goes 30 usually Or longer Depending on how the game's going But they saw that As an opportunity To get an extra big man out there With mobility and footwork and When you get about. a freebie You, you have take to, it you, you do it yeah. You take it and They did that Despite that You know Canberra get that opportunity uh, where they're down there inside again they look like again that their left side is where they wanted to go that kind of surprised me but after they had the reshuffle I guess with Crichton having to come on the field defensively he's not the greatest they definitely wanted to work over Cooper Cronk Joey Marno, and test him out I thought they did quite a good job but again the issue is more they didn't engage enough they were too happy to turn the ball back under the most threatening player was Jack plain and simple every time Jack got the ball with a bit of width or flat yeah. the threat of him running or passing um, he looked great but off You know bats. why But
0: Because he played square straight And he isolates people yeah, And he's physical. The biggest thing about The Roosters defensive line Is that Rarely do you get Someone yeah, isolated You
1: don't get it too often do you
0: And when they When they have In the last two weeks Like the last two games They've conceded two tries Yeah One was the Kronk one Where he got isolated on um, Big boy Nelson Yeah And one was where I think it was Crichton Got was it Crichton or Boyd? Boyd Cordner was over that side well, of the field well, as well because they were a little bit out out of sync, weren't they? But yeah. it was just one where they were looking out, isolated inside shoulder, white and bang try. Yeah, so yeah, the focus for good defensive sides is how can I isolate players? and that's why we've been critical of Caesar because if he doesn't go to the line and isolate and hold someone up, there's no no, no way you're going to get space you just on get the, killed from the inside. And that's where I was probably I was critical of Jerome Hughes a week before because he's. He's not that natural half, so he doesn't hold people up. He doesn't. He doesn't have that skill yet built into his game. So it just it affected Melbourne's cohesion from an offensive point of view.
1: Yeah, well, I think this was another one of those golden opportunities after that bit of a rough period where Canberra under the pump, where they had possession, uh, and unfortunately we talked about Caesar again under pressure. He did dig into the line this time, but Latrell Mitchell made the choice to come up and cut off the outside pass. Yeah, he just had to put the ball away. It was play two. Instead, he throws a hospital pass at Bateman, who's already got two defenders literally in front of him. So that's another one of those moments where I'm looking and going: field position, territory, opportunity off the back of a play one error after points. You need to get something out of it. Yeah, Caesar comes up the wrong play, and they release the roosters. You know, straight away with pressure and as usual. Uh, they dig themselves out. Jadri Hargrove's first in, the amount of carries he had in that as well. He was doing absolutely outstanding, but at this kind of point here, I felt Canberra, not only obviously was starting to get on top of the possession and the territory side of things, but the second phase, it wasn't there at the start of the game, but it crept in late in the half. They started to break the roosters down a bit, but defensively, again, it just makes me appreciate how well they scramble or cover well, it ended up
0: 20 offloads to one. Yeah, well, the second King half was
1: like 15 of them. <clears throat> but in the, in the back end of the first half when the ball started to come out, like the second efforts to cover the screen, like they're ridiculously good in the f- structurally by system, but also when they're getting broken down. They don't break. They have the effort stuff along with this. Like I, I think the Raiders are exceptional as well, but the Roosters defensively.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I don't think I've seen much better in the past. 10 15 years, and I think Melbourne's had some pretty bloody good defensive teams as well, system wise, individually, players like But this last two years of the Roosters, and in particular, these last two weeks, or more so the other night, even though I don't think the Rays were that great in attack, it's just more just turning up and the attention to detail and the effort on effort on it. Like, there's no one that relents or quits, there's not one person in that chain that dies on a play and hurts everybody else. They just continually found energy or a way to make a tackle or get the job done steal some time in the ruck they just yeah Mm. pretty bloody relentless but uh, they started to press their way as we said the pressure was building a little bit there that pass that came finally looking for a bit of width from the Raiders to get away from playing to that ruck when they hit Jack there Hodgson through that Smith like pass (laughs) got to that point you're saying they're isolating players they got out straight away to the halves in the back Whiten basically went straight over the top of Cronk and almost went straight through that pinpoint kick down inside the 20 where they was doing a great job of pinning them and trying to force them to bring the ball out, uh, force the roosters to use one of their weapons as they do at times, which is Latrell's left foot. They were getting that far back in the territory sides of things and starting to strangle a little bit, but they called Latrell's left boot. in. we know he's got a huge boot, but that was starting to tell at that point as well for me, like they can feel themselves getting eaten up a little bit in the possession game. Yeah. But he comes up with a pearler, uh, on the back of that, I think we got to the point there where they started to get themselves, you know, really, really upfield for good set start positions. One of the plays off the back of that was Chance Nickel Klogstad. I think he tipped it down the short side to Rapana. Yeah. That that set they started on the halfway line. So even with that clearing kick, like they were really starting to press the Roosters back. And it, again, it's one of these periods I'm sitting there going, they've got to break, they have to break, mm-hmm. but it just seemed like they would not relent. They were building nicely. Nice kick again comes from Tedesco. and oh, Sorry, from uh, Jack and Tedesco, of all people. It's one of the only contests he had to deal with for the whole night. He came up with an error, and he was well-contained in this game, but that's what leads to the try finally. They get one quick play level off that. Jack, as you said, didn't even have numbers, but the fact that he plays with that width, he had an inside-outside support, and he's willing to engage the line. He put pressure on the Roosters to come up with a decision. Cordner kind of got off a bit sideways, and we've talked about it before. To anyone that listens, when you're getting off your line, you've got to get off square, inside shoulder first. Cordner was kind of off on a bit of an angle and tried to compensate last minute when Jack cut back in. And him one-on-one physically after that, once he had Crichton flat-footed, he was going over every day of the week. Mm -hmm. All that pressure, all that build-up, the territory, like they stayed so disciplined to get that try, and it was well-deserved. And of all people, like I said, Jack's defence early in the game, runs... His kicking game, he far exceeded what I expected, but he deserved that try.
0: Absolutely. And they, they really steadied <clears throat> after that because it 8-0 against the Roosters because you, you, you're going, well, bloody hell, Melbourne only scored one try against them. They don't leak a lot of points, the Roosters. It was just important, to A, to settle, and B, just to get themselves back within a score. Mm.
1: I think <clears> another <throat> thing to clarify for people, a lot of them live were blowing up going, Corden is on the wrong edge, why is that? Well, it's last tackle, the kick's gone up. He's usually one of the first guys in coming in for a carry. So yeah, but
0: he's like, also sweeping around. Yeah, and yeah,
1: covering up. I think he got himself more caught over there, probably coming in like you said. Not only is he cleaning up because it's a contest, but I think he's getting there for an early carry straight away because it's a quick play of the ball. you just got to jump in the line. Yeah. So whether he's on the wrong side of the field or not, it's the opposite shoulder yet, but it's not really a big excuse for why he slipped over or missed. He went out a bit too hard, got off it sideways, and unfortunately... They I thought got, it was Caesar. Yeah. He used to be, he's been defending <laughs> Caesar. <laughs> they, Seriously? They, they got exposed. He's been yeah. defending Caesar. People no going, bit, well, Caesar's going to pass why it. Why is he over there? Well, it's fifth tackle. Mm. So a lot of guys straight away gravitate to the ball mm. when you think the contest is done because you're trying to get a carry or get yourself in a position to help out out of yardage. And I, I think just in the scramble of things, he put himself. Yeah, in I, the line. you just I'm got to get in the line. I'm for him to that. So He I, was so good in those I don't last think, two weeks. Yeah, there's not much to read into it. I just thought that no. life someone said, I'm not like, weak. And you, you know
0: what? Like the way that Whiten hit that pass, it was going to be difficult oh. even if you were square one-on-one.
1: And I'm telling you right now, and I've said this for the last few years, mainly on a show because of D. When he came into our side at 16, technique-wise, he's a sledgehammer. You don't run at him. But mm-hmm. physically, like it, it's not given enough credit. I don't think people actually understand how f- fucking big the bloke is. He's not small. And quick. He's that awkward Long, lean looking thing when you look and go, oh, he doesn't look that big. He is hard boned, strong as just like one other comment on Jack White and
0: like a random comment. <laughs> Bloody, fuck his teeth are white. He's they white, all right. They're Jesus, white. have a look at those. Uh, hands? Have a look
1: at his Barry Beef. You see his hands when he put <clears throat> Clive Churchill in the medal up. No, he's dead set, got fly spotters. He's got the biggest fucking hands no. you've ever
0: seen. I just noticed his teeth.
1: He's a very freak. white. I'll tell you what, I'll give credit to again here at the time, it didn't happen. Dave mm-hmm. Hamilton, who we've rapped a lot of times on this show, who was the recruitment gun for them for years. At the time they got him there and played Harold Mats, or sorry, SG Ball as a 16 year old, he's recruited a lot of good fucking players mm. for that club. He was adamant that he was as good a 5'8 as anyone he'd seen. He was adamant he was going to be a 6. So it took a while to get back around there. He played fullback, mm. centre. He's very naturally talented. But he was, said it to all of us at the time. He wasn't pulling any punches. He's like, I oh, this kid is going to be an absolute gun 5'8. He's the best, one of the best, if not the best half I've ever spotted. Yeah. And I know it's taken a while to get to the point and he played well at fullback and centre and he's played origin at centre, especially because of his defensive qualities. But the growth in his game this year and the development and yeah. just sticking to his strength of running, he's an old school six, if anything. yeah, Second fiddle, run the ball first, but defensively, uh, yeah, he, he's a hell of a talent. But from that point on, you're like, okay, they've got some pressure. They've got themselves in the game. They're winning the territory battle. They're doing a good job pinning the Roosters. 8-6, getting to time here, like... With all the possession that the Roosters <laughs> had And they going into halftime I think they went in at 57-43 You thought they needed more And they were in a bit of trouble But Doing with Louis the poor bastard He dropped it last week He drops the kickoff Yeah Next one around and Well I said to you You went to the toilet I said well, what's the bet the Raiders will make an error
0: here Yeah And he happened. came back and he said what happened So said well they made an error
1: Well, <clears throat> Twice And a good play I guess early for a young man And Nat Butcher That was his first tackle When I watched it on replay Good shot Got him in the ruck there And he just He muffed it he complained that it was going to be a penalty But again, watched the game three times He just tried to rush it and get it on the ground too quickly And two answer for beginners So, straight away I'm sitting there going Well, have that just blown all the effort yeah. To get themselves back into it Luckily for them There wasn't a whole lot that came After that side of things uh, The roosters, they're stopped again The shapes are cut off, both the edges Jack again come up with an absolute cracker of a tackle On that left side of the field when they tackled him Tupou went up flicked the ball back they got six again they had three sets on the Raiders and then Jared Croker who I've knocked plenty of times for defence cut with what I thought was one of the best moments of the game he's come all the way from the left side of the field when Latrell Mitchell cut back infield and beat five or six players come up with a corker tackle busted his ass to try and get back to his left edge where the Roosters are smart enough to immediately go and sure enough who makes the tackle again Jack Whiten and Elliot Whitehead who got no reps on the night and Joey Martin who drops the football Yeah. so they dodge a bullet where they could have undone all their hard work in that 10-15 minute period where they started to build themselves back into the game. But if you go watch that game again, like I said, Jack's tackles are all effective or critical. Elliot Whitehead, why not as effective the ball defensively on that edge as well? They both come up with some absolute corker plays to just tie that edge up. And they did a fantastic job on the right against the Roosters. and Joey Manu got a lot more ball in the trail or tried to involve himself a lot more in the game. And I thought he'd have a big impact. He was basically nullified completely on most shift plays or any opportunities he got there with any space. They did, a, they did a real good number on his side of the field and keeping him out of the game. Yeah. And it's bloody hard to keep both those guys out of the game. So I have to give Canberra a hell of a rap on that side of things. But uh, late in the half, they got another opportunity. Unfortunately, they dragged the Roosters back into the field goal. Then they gave another penalty away. So he we basically went to halftime with that penalty shot for Luttrell. Could have been a big play yeah. to get that four-point buffer considering... The pressure they absorb, but he misses that, and you know, going into that half, the main thing I'm looking at is just those small moments again that all add up, like to Pines, multiple penalties and the missed tackle early on, those things hurt. That got them basically their eight points, like one player, unfortunately, uh, didn't have a great first stint, and it did come back to bite them on the arse, and just looking at their attack, like for the good ball opportunity and the pressure they build, I'm like, you've got to come out second half and dig in a bit more, and get some ruck speed for Hodgson, who only had limited opportunities to kind of jump out and play. Jack looked outstanding, like I said, just running on that left edge. And their kicks, uh, kick returns and set start. Like charles nickel Cogstad ran for 220-something metres and gassed himself out at the 70th minute. He'd he bloody tried that hard. Yeah. He had a ripper of a game, but not everything else was there. But inside 20, could they break him down? And in the first half there, I was like, I don't know if they're going to be able to fix it. Jack's over here doing his job. Hodgson's not probably getting enough role to do enough in the middle there. I'll be able to create enough and Caesar's too busy tipping most things back on the inside or not really engaging. So it was a bit of a worry that I thought, well, if it's going to come from anything, it's going to come from how they just got the first try building yeah. pressure. Like you said, the near perfect game, play, strangle the roosters, try and force errors, get penalty, like anything inside, like it's just going to come down to trying to burn them out basically. Cause I didn't think they were going to get enough out of yeah. Caesar. Um, uh, but on the flip side, for the Roosters, I'm kind of sitting there going, like, I'd be pretty bloody happy if I was Trent Robinson because I know the possession said otherwise, but for the back end of the half, I thought they were getting wrestled out of the game. Mm-hmm. I thought the Raiders were flipping it back completely in their favour and they're under the pump and they did well to hold on. Mm-hmm. I really did. And on top of that, the adversity like you said, or you have to flip into action when you lose a player off your bench and they are already carrying someone under a cloud, that immediately, I think, wouldn't have had the spiders going in his head or the worms but he would have been a bit restless I think when he lost Orbison early on to think okay realistically here I'm down to two rotate like a two-man rotation like the friend thing's a one-time switch I don't know when I'm going to do it I have to wait to see how the game's going but that realistically at that point meant they were on a two-man rotation for their middles that was it yeah the versatility of having that extra edge player was gone with Orbison injured and Crichton going into the game if they'd got another problem <clears throat> there another issue they would have probably had a, big, a, big, a bigger problem there to try and re-shuffle their side, losing Orbison so early and carrying a hooker rather than Ted who can play that middle role can go at an edge if desperately needed but they lost Crichton uh, for that versatility and Orbison so. second half kicks off uh, this one no surprise early on, Hodgson has a pop for the 40-20, Tupo it was excellent all night, Knight was back there straight away, cover up for that side of things uh, I think Rapana got a, a penalty early coming out of yardage from Angus Crichton, and, and this is one of those ones I'm looking at saying, "Well, that one to me is a 50-50." lot. Like, Rapana ran, out, got dominated by two of them. Rapana did really, really well to get back to his belly and fight for his front, but like, Crichton's kind of rolled over him. they like he's not trying to contact, he's not trying to do anything, and he's kind of put the ball down on him. Like he's trying to get out of the ruck. I thought he made the effort to get out of the ruck. He didn't purposely knock the ball. So I, again. If you're the Raiders, you're cheering. That's a great job by your player mm. to fight back to his front. And even though he's put the ball on the player, I thought intentionally, they've pinned, uh, obviously, uh, Angus Crichton for it. So that one I thought was definitely helpful for the Raiders. And could have probably gone the other way. Lua starts to get more involved in the game. We start to see these players come in and offload, as we spoke about, which is a big part of the game. And Caesar again, gives me one of those flashes I was looking for. He actually digs into the line. Holds up the outside defenders and isolates Kiri. And Lowey, Lay Lua goes straight through a hole. It was a pearler pass. So I'm like, what? This is what, what you are saying, what I saw at the Gold Coast. This is what a half needs to do. Mm-hmm. Get doubt in defenders' minds. Hold up the inside defenders so the outside men get isolated. And Joey Marta and Luke Kiri is a fucking mismatch in anyone's mind. He got into the backfield that easily. It wasn't funny. But the Roosters did as they've done all day. They scramble. They cover up. They get a drop out there. They start to build some pressure. Uh, but the Roosters just won't give up. They refused to relent on the back of it. kiri two from two, kicks inside 20, tries to put them back down the other end and, and build some pressure the other way. But another penalty. Uh, Elliot Whitehead, hand on the ball from Tokyaho, which again on replay I thought was pretty 50-50 or yep. one that could have gone either way. So there's probably two in a row there. I'm not saying it's wrong for Canberra fans, but both of them I looked at and thought, well...
0: Mm. If and I'm... again, this was my concern in the preview, just blowing penalties for the sake of blowing yeah. penalties. And there were just some subjective ones where you saw four or five other ones across the duration of the game that could have been awarded that were the same as these 50-50 ones that were awarded. Mm. So I think that's where fans get frustrated. Yeah. And me as a neutral get frustrated. I, I, I didn't have a dog in the fight. I
1: don't have a dog in the fight I, I wanted
0: just... to see a good game. But I did think that maybe they tried to wrestle back some, uh, I guess, some control of the ruck early in the second half of the referees when they probably should have done that to early, start again. the game. Yeah. yeah.
1: Set that example early mm. that you're not going to take any crap. and You've
0: got to blow less penalties later. but mm. yeah, There was just a period here, a strange period, for 15, 20 minutes where they just blew the piss out of it. And then late in the game, again, they went away from it. So
1: but Full credit to the Raiders. Like I said, second half, fighting all their rucks. They fought all night there. And then that opportunity came on the back of that penalty where Bateman, like you said, cuts back in field. That ad-lib play, trying to get the Roosters caught out or break out of their system and the tip onto to Papali. Uh, fast motion, like we said, I kind of thought Cronk did what you need to do. He got off the line and jammed his man. But in slow motion, to the interpretation of how the rules been played this year, uh, it was a sin bit Yeah, but I definitely don't think it was a penalty try.
0: I think we need to look at it. Yeah, over the off season, the interpretation of that—that's all. Yeah, for the interpretation of this season, absolutely. I um, I thought it was the right call.
1: Yeah, and at this point in time, friend on the field when they get to this point at twelve, and at that, and it was time, a good
0: time. It was a good time for him to come on because you want your leaders on the field at this time and fresh legs also. Uh, and with Kronk going off, he's a very, uh, you know, he's, he's a talker, he's an organiser, he, he coordinates the side and pushes them around the field. So, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was good timing, good substitute by Coach Robinson.
1: Yep. Uh, the Raiders, I think, live will kind of say, like, do you take the two, which I thought, you know, you're there. It's a close game, it's probably probably a good idea, or do you just go for the jug because you've got to move twelve and you're starting to build some pressure, but I guess you've got to pay respect to that defence.
0: I would also say I think Ricky Stewart put Papali on it this time as well, which was just smart substituting. Uh, you know, with the with the man down, your dominant front row getting him on. So I thought that was also a really, really good call from Ricky Stewart.
1: And this is the real critical part for me. They've already built a bit of dominance, they've got a couple of penalties, they're completely on top. This man goes to the bin, the next ten minutes you have to get something.
0: Well, they got the uh, two, and then from there, it just went into the grind, didn't it? For...
1: Yeah. They rolled downfield. Anytime they looked like they were getting near or they were getting somewhere inside, they just couldn't come up with any again. And why I thought all those kicks again were spot on, they created contests every single time. Morris just did not drop one. And the only one that was kind of dropped on, like I said, was the Tedesco one where he knocked it forward and the controversial one laid on with the correct call, I thought, came out of it. But Morris was absolutely tested to... You, you couldn't have been pummeled anymore. Let's no. put it that way. Jared Croker was there for every single one of them. He almost snatched one late in the second half in the air that they got out of the in goal line. I think Joey Manu got out. He almost snatched a grubber kick in this 10-minute period that went in and Tedesco got there literally at the flash, mate. Jared Croker almost scored two or three times off kick contest or just cover up things from the back five. The back three for the Roosters in that sense, in particular Tedesco and more so Morris, covered up every opportunity there was to score off a kick. Uh, they basically played the Roosters at their own game because then the rest, Roosters finished second as far as tries created from kicks during the season. Yeah. When you've got targets like a Morris or, in particular, the trail, guys who can jump, why well, you're not going to kick to them. But mm-hmm. uh, that pressure during that 10-minute period, I, they just needed to get more out of it. They ran the ball a couple of times on last play, didn't kind of come up with anything, and it was off the back of just random play the balls. They threw one over the sideline right at the end there. I think Jack forced a pass to Croker. That late shift from inside their own half, where they went through the hands, Croker throws it back in play, and they complain that they wanted six again. They thought Manu touched the ball when Whitehead dived on it. I slow made it, watched it a million times, and kind of thought, like it's it's a pretty bloody hard one for me to say 100% whether Manu got a touch on it at the same time, simultaneous, or afterwards. But I just thought that 10 minute period they needed to come up with more. Mm-hmm. They got themselves in good positions. They kicked well a couple of times, but when you've got 12 on the field with the Roosters, you have to get a try. Yeah. And in this situation, with all the dominance, choking them out almost for the first 20 minutes, the possession was 70-30 at the 63rd minute after Kronk got back on. like You needed to have got more out of it. Mm-hmm. From that period, though, the only other thought I had is, if not, you've just pummeled them from pillar to post. They've done all the tackling. They've had no way out. Like If they just don't relent here... They might get another ugly try. I don't know, but either way, if you're not getting the points there, like their focus just has to stay razor sharp. Like you need, you know, like the storm we say it all the time. It's going to take 80 minutes to beat the Roosters. There's nothing more or nothing less than 80 minutes. They're going to get it done, and probably the most critical play again to come out of that period um, was Leilua. They got themselves in a three-on-two situation. On, actually, that was Charles Nichol-Klogstad. There was two good plays during this. Latrell Mitchell, I thought, was super quiet. There was a three-on-two, and he had to come up with the right play. He jammed Charles Nickel klogstad so why I thought he did bugger all with the ball, bar that miracle play. He came up with a cracker defensive play, if you go back and watch that. But then fifth tackle, Hodgson jumps the short side. They have the cutout pass. It goes to Lealua. It's a two-on-one. Every day of the week, you put your winger away. Joey's tried to go to the physical contest and score himself <laughs> off late and he's throwing it forward on the ground, which live we weren't sure of. You thought maybe. No, I ju-
0: all I said was, was it forward? Did it, was it definitely mm-hmm. forward? And on the replay, I didn't think the angle was great, but having watched it on replay, I'm happy with the touch judge. The, the, the person in the best possible position was the touch judge. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it could have potentially been line ball live at the stadium, but no, I think it went probably fractionally forward and again you go with your touch judge you made the call and there's no controversy about it because you just made the call we got on with it that's it and and Joey as you said Joey should have passed
1: and this is another one we go back to like we've we've said all these moments and all these opportunities all these bits and pieces possession territory but that moment centre winger 12 men on the field like 2 on 1 you have to you have to execute the pass like it's not the time to think it's it's What's the highest percentage play here? I've got the winger, flat-footed, inside help coming. I've got to pass this ball. Rapana gave him an absolute bake. He scores every day of the week. Gave him an absolute Whoa. bake. It, I thought the pass
0: from Charles Nickel clockstad was an absolute belter.
1: And the one from Hodgson, when he threw the... He, he got the insides to kind of hold because he showed open and he threw back to the short side. I thought he's... He's done a very, very good job here.
0: Yeah, they they got him twice with that play. Late late in the game as well when Leilua went away down the right edge. They yeah. got them with that out ball that which went across <clears throat> um, the back row or yeah, the Yeah, Got Curie
1: going as Caesar skipped across. Really, really good play.
0: I, I wish they would have done that more often. They might have had a little bit a little bit more love there, but
1: Yeah. Well,
0: it's just wrong call. Should have passed the ball.
1: This is that period, like I said.
0: And that would to me was the biggest moment in the game. Yeah.
1: Cronk gets because back. Because Kronk
0: goes back on, yeah.
1: He gets back on the field.
0: Uh, they score there what, what does that make it? That The Raiders hit the lead 12-8 Kick to come Because mm. it was 8 all at that point in time I'll
1: tell you what Huge play for Tupa Because he engaged there <clears throat> Hit him high Not low Like he could have Dropped to the legs Or tried to release off And trusted the inside player yeah. But he's come up with a hit Effective enough To wrestle Leilu with the ground Flat-footed Which is not easy to do And got him to come up With at least a, a shit pass But at the end of the day The 2-on-1 had to be taken and that's one wow. of the biggest moments in the game. And,
0: and again, simplicity is often the greatest complexity. Mate. It's the simple plays that you cock up.
1: Bread and butter, two-on-ones, you've got to take that. But they get their players back on the field from there. tupo excellent play. Brewster's charged the ball down. The pressure just continues, even with full complement. Nickel Klogstad, who at this point starting to struggle with cramps, comes up with another cracker run. They just keep coming after him. Caesar comes up with an absolute belter right on the trial and again which is another contest that Morris has to go up for and he comes up with a football <clears> and, and I'm just sitting here like I said going the pressure even with the 13 back on it has to pay now this just feels like all I've watched is Canberra belt them drag them in their own half hold them down and even when they've got a good set or a decent end they're just starting well upfield they're starting in good positions but they're just not doing enough with football and it just it never came it really, really never come Jack Whiten came up with his first poor kick or One of the poor kicks after that Nat Butcher dives on it And they hold on again It's Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely dumbfounded Nickel Klogstad. He shot a short side there And come up with some meters Sydney scrambled again to cover up Jack comes up with another purler for Morris Who covers again And then that hit that period That you were talking about Manu After four or five times in a row, it just felt they couldn't get out. Manu slides through a dangerous short side with bodies all around him and finds his way into the open field. That
0: got him rolling, and that's where I'm pretty sure Tokiaho went through from Radley tip the ball to him. And
1: And it it was followed up (coughs) by nothing other than that man again, Morris. Morris not only gets smashed for about the seventh time in a row, he gets second carry under Joseph Manu, who came up with that absolute corker of a run. Radley next player As he's done all game Offers that point of difference He gets a tip on Seeing that Bateman's rushed in And Caesar hasn't fired, And Caesar gets burnt there By not following in I, In all honesty I don't know why Bateman Was trying to jam in and there And that's but... why
0: every forward That listens to this game Young or old That's playing rugby league you got to have a passing
1: game it makes a huge difference because if you see space like that, it's got to be taken. But yeah. it's
0: also going to open your play up because you're going to get less line speed. Players and, are going to hang off you a little bit. And this
1: is why I'm talking about Radley having a direct effect on the result. He's the lead to the quick play, the ball that sets Verrills up. He's the lead to this play here. Defensively excellent. 180. Like he had a huge game. Mm. He really did have a massive effect in this game. But lucky for the Raiders after all that work. Tokio goes through and Tedesco is a little late. There's no support. Radley, again, comes up with a huge play. His kick pressure causes an error at the back. Six to go for the Roosters, and finally, they've got themselves an opportunity this game. This is the point here, I'm thinking, well, if they're going to come up with anything, it needs to be now. Do they have enough in the tank? Mm -hmm. And then they get a penalty from Caesar sticking out a lazy arm and hitting Kiri in the head, and and this is another one of these moments. where the second half, they were winning the penalty count at that point, 3-0. The first penalty and first opportunity for the Roosters is almost at the 67th minute. I don't think it's a great spot to kick from. You're a left footer, because it was left foot, left touchline, 10 in, like it's that awkward spot um, <coughs> in the wrong side, but he's ended up missing it. They get the ball back off that, and unfortunately, their first real opportunity, Kiri come up with a critical error, I thought. They had mm. a four on three, but Le Louis made the decision to cut off the outside pass, and Kiri's just forced it over the top. Tupou is an absolute mega stretch Armstrong, and he almost come up with a pass, but it wasn't the play at the time. After 20 minutes of almost unrelenting pressure... Even if you don't score there off the back of that, you've got to use the full set. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a bit of a brain fade, I think, by Kiri, almost trying to force a result out of it after the pump, like thinking this may be the only chance we get. And it was the wrong yeah. play. Um, he played busted, and full Full credit to him, I didn't think he had the greatest night, Luke Kiri. he came come up with a critical play, but all around that, it wasn't the flashiest night, and he played busted. But right there, I was really low. I thought that could be the last opportunity that Roosters get. There. Um, yeah. luckily for them. That wasn't the case, unfortunately. They've dodged it. So 10 minutes left from there. Could they have gone for the field goal? That was another thought I had in my mind. If that was their one opportunity up the field and they can't score, they could have maybe knocked the field goal over and put the pressure back on Canberra to have to come down and find one. That wasn't the case. Canberra roll downfield and this is that critical moment we spoke about. We're not going to go into it again because we've basically addressed it, but the contest where Bailey Simonson knocks it back. The referee initially signals it and we saw it. I thought it was the wrong call. It turns out it you know, the call of fifth, fifth and last <coughs> should have been the initial call, but it, it came in the wrong way. Uh, devastating for Canberra fans, but like I said, on the back of this, I'm more surprised that with all the flow, all the energy, and everything going their way, that the next set, like defensively, whether it was the mentality, there's still ten minutes, so it's, you know, eight or nine minutes to go. It's eight or all, like the game's not done. No. You can't rest in on that one moment. I'm sure it is hard to flush, but it's a grand final. And two plays later. Joey Leilua, who's already come up with that critical play where he's unfortunately not taken the two-on-one and gone the route there where he thought, I'll go myself. Uh, gets caught out after Canberra can press. They find a quick play of the ball. Kiri shows open, jumps back to the short side there, and they find Bateman standing next to Rapano with Caesar lost out on the wing and Here he gets it with Latrell Mitchell Who of all the plays he made that night And
0: Leilua who just wasn't even in the play I I thought the two biggest blunders for the Raiders Was Leilua not passing And then Leilua not being even in in that play Mm. Again, you you can't shift accountability And I'm not roasting Leilua But what you put on tape is what it and two big moments They're two big moments where You've just let your team down I don't think it costs them the game but they were two big plays where you've really hurt your team.
1: Yeah, and they add up in the end, don't they? So they do.
0: In, in big games, that, that's what splits teams. And right? the thing
1: is, we're talking about a simple two-on-one where the man was in front had him Simplicity
0: is, is the greatest complexity, getting onside
1: and getting square. But then we saw trial Mitchell execute the near-impossible pass where Rapana's cut him, seizes mm. halfway in between him, and he's got a one-handed, borderline, no-look flick pass to Tupou. <laughs> And live, I thought that might have been Ford, but I, I watched it, a it. I watched it
0: uh, again on replay. It, it wasn't Ford.
1: And again, you said I. I just wish he'd be more involved in games. But the quality of the man, that pass in that moment,
0: Andrew Johns, I thought nailed it, and Thurston nailed it. Like he wasn't sighted all game. He, he didn't help his team out out That's... of yardage at all. But when the big play was there to be made, he made it.
1: And I tell you what, Kyrie, like I said, I didn't think he had a crash hot night. <laughs> Obviously, played busted. They got him in defense a couple of times. I went past him, but. Again, come open, duck back in behind, saw that they were a bit lazy and they didn't tie in because they were a bit tight in the middle. Sums up that pass perfectly, like Keery. It's probably more fitting that their left edge come up with a winning play. Their yeah. left edge all year, Tupo, Luttrell, Tedesco, Strip, and their kiri They're dangerous from the right, but their left edge scored 50-plus tries, came up with a critical play. And Surprise, surprise, we backed up this time. Tedesco didn't miss a second opportunity to grab a try. He ices it, and from there, Luttrell Mitchell's kicks probably another, again, like two big plays for him the pass and then coming out with that kick to make it 14-8 that really then probably put you know a bit of a knife into Canberra where you're at a point where you may be starting to question have we done all everything we've done and had all this opportunity had all that ball mm. 10 minutes with a man off the field yes that play did go rock luck but then to concede off the back out of, of all things like yeah and for the last eight days. they minutes, had nothing
0: to show for their dominance No, and the Roosters had one little moment there where they want, just decided to take advantage and yeah, you because know, we've seen if that pass goes over the sideline, Mitchell gets that wrong, Canberra then heading in uh, to attack. So it was ballsy. But that's the Roosters, isn't it? They, they backed themselves to, to execute, and they did in a huge moment.
1: Well, they didn't go away, that's for sure. No, they... They come the greatest, after him man, again there. Tough side. There was another player, like I said, again, Latrell had a couple of his big moments that found him without him leaving. There was an offload that was coming back down that short side, and I think he smashed Bailey Simonson or someone where they were going to get open and have a two-on-one or a three-on-one.
0: A couple of his – he made some really, really good tackles, he Mitchell. He did, and that's –
1: Defensively, I thought his performance was his very, very much underrated. And then, he, uh, he closed down a lot of little threats. And needed to be made too. Like, yeah. There are ones that come to him, but if he makes the wrong call, this could have been two or three tries down his edge. And I think Croker, he, uh kick at Tedesco that was knocked on. It was so close. They had all that dominance, and then later in the game again, I kind of felt that the Roosters might have iced it. Caesar gets caught at marker, another negative play by him. Friend, who had an awesome 30 minutes. To we questioned him playing, but I thought he played outstanding when he got on. He was great. Yeah. He put a critical kick out and the touch and took control during that 10-minute sin bin. He was very good defensively, as he always is. He provided plenty of energy. Then late in the game there, isolates the marker, gets a one-on-one, put Tedesco through a gap there with Horsburgh and Gouler. Having a tie in and Bateman come up with a cracker save. And on the back of that, Cordner, he put a kick in the corner. It should have been a half, but they put Canberra two metres out, one metre in from touch with three minutes to go. They Perfect. basically had two sets to go from that. The next set, they can't come up with much. Jack comes up with a, a decent kick and smashes Tedesco, like wipes him. If they could have got an error there, maybe we see something. Kiri makes another kind of poor decision in the game. He kicks the ball and the Bateman off of pressure and gives him good field position for the last set. But they scramble their ass off again. They cover Canberra up from the lay lower. Yeah. They just <clears throat> Canberra didn't go away. But despite what like I said, what anyone thinks at the back end of this game, I just I can't take anything away from the Roosters. It was a
0: reward for toughness. That was yeah. a tough win, an absolutely tough win.
1: They were outstanding. Um, I enjoyed it. Like I said, and I,
0: look, Canberra. Like if you if you told me that they were going to get, you know, those statistics, the Roosters playing that way, all those opportunities. I know they got a couple of calls which were questionable, but I thought the Roosters did as well. Uh, Look, I I really would have fancied Canberra's chances of winning, but the Roosters, that's one that they've just absolutely earned. And I thought that Ricky Stewart nailed that. He, You know, no referee goes out to make an error. No, and he's spot on. And he also said... um, you know, I don't want to take anything away from the Roosters because what they've achieved is something that's nothing short of incredible. And he's spot on. <clears throat> that's how I'd sum it up. Tough, an ugly game, Definitely. not one for the purists. Uh, sorry, it was one for the purists. It wasn't, I guess, one for you know those people who want to see the um, the attacking yeah, tries points and, and tries. And, but as a, as a purist, I, I, I love that was it. a contest. I it was fantastic. That
1: was a real contest. But like I said, in the end, Canberra they got the possession to swing their way. It was 55-45. Second half, it was 70-30 at a point. It probably finished maybe 65-35. Like it really was there to be had. Uh, like Time and possession, they dominated. The completions from both sides, in particular the Roosters, who make more errors than anyone, they were 80, 86% on the night. Raiders, 81. Meters were pretty much even. Line breaks. The, the one real thing that stood out, obviously, was the second phase. 20 yeah. offloads to one. Like That just shows how hard the Roosters had to work to scream with their ass up and cover up and make second efforts and with that was well they the,
0: missed more tackles as well I that was
1: the, the ineffective tackle one I was mm. talking about the, the missed tackles were 39 to 30 but ineffective tackles were 38 to 1 so you are like the Raiders are not wasting any energy really there they're getting in they're finishing their tackles off yep. they're sticking like the Roosters are, yeah but
0: also the Roosters aren't offloading yeah. so you're not getting that ineffectiveness
1: they're making extra efforts but they won the penalty count the Raiders 7-5 but made more errors and dropouts they forced a couple each Uh This roof to side and this roof.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
1: Roosters club and this team is incredible. Their finals run this year, they conceded one try in all three games. Over the past two final series, they've averaged conceding six point eight points a game. That's ridiculous. Defence wins comps. It does win comps since from the last. I said three.
0: last week I thought if the Raiders could get to eighteen they'd win. And if they got to eighteen, they would have won.
1: And the summer... they could only get
0: to eight, like, and keep the Roosters below eighteen. They kept the Roosters to fourteen. Credit credit to the Raiders for keeping the Roosters to fourteen. Yeah. But it just shows you how good the Roosters' defence so. is. Yeah, they're incredible. They, the Raiders—they kept the Raiders to eight, mm. one try. It's—it's it's incredible.
1: And they did it two weeks in a <clears> row. Because <throat> the Storm probably got the better run of things last week in the second half again and come after them yeah. and couldn't get a try either. Couldn't. And what
0: did the what did Melbourne score eight as well, didn't they? Melbourne 16-8? Yeah, I think penalty goal, five? and yeah. a try,
1: something like that. But Cooper Cronk. Seven premierships, five if you don't count the other two, but nine grand finals in sixteen seasons. Almost basically every second year is in a grand final. I thought Robinson
0: nailed Cooper Cronk yeah. post game. He's Wasn't, he's not a brilliant player, but he's the best, best thinker that's player. ever best team player yeah. and the best thinker that's ever he played makes the game. He made everyone around
1: him better. Yeah, uh, three grand finals in a row to finish. Seventeen with Melbourne, eighteen no one The Roosters, crazy Jack White. I thought
0: it was classy that Cronk also well Cronk and Robinson gave the Storm a huge rap. Yeah. Post game, in that you know, I had to give give credit and
1: if, if you haven't seen it, we a oh, huge
0: rivalry and yeah. spoke about all that stuff. And rivalry should never get in the way with no, just what's appreciating right. Appreciating like just what's right.
1: I'll 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 put one thing there. I know again, a lot of people are probably going to be dirty and Raiders fans are particularly filthy, and a lot of people don't like the Roosters. But if you didn't see that press conference, I'd watch Trent Robinson's press conference. Trent Robinson, it was a good. I press love conference.
0: Trent Robinson. I there's, there's nothing about the bloke that I don't like or respect. Well, He's here
1: is three premierships. Unbelievable. Now. Three and I could listen
0: to him talk for hours and hours and hours as an aspiring coach. Aye. I think he's just got a great temperament. He's always he never opens his mouth without something constructive to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought how he how he um, went at Thurston a little bit. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to really say what I feel. I I, I didn't think it was poor. No, nah, I think it was the aggravated. question. The question. The timing of the question. I didn't think was great. I found it interesting that Thurston was asking the Roosters coach about it when it was something that impacted the Raiders, I guess. So it was just a little bit awkward, I would probably describe well, it. I, awkward, awkward. The question was awkward, and I think Robin, uh, Robinson felt awkward having to answer it. And
1: I think he was frustrated. I mean, yeah, frustrated. That, that was going to be the, the point of making. Like, If you actually watch this game as a neutral and you don't just hate the Roosters and you weren't like the same, if you're just like us and you just watched it for the sake of watching the game... <laughs> I understood the frustration because again, like all this controversy to me is just overlooking the fact that they absolutely busted their ass to win this comp. Yeah. Like it didn't all go their way. Like the the rule or the shit rule for the trainer thing is not, you know, not something that they can control. The, the six again call was the correct call, but the initial six again is not something he can control. But we were arrived at the right call. So I'm um, but the whole game as a whole, I thought Canberra had more than enough opportunities and definitely with a more <laughs> with a more dominant side across the 80 minutes and they couldn't get the job done because this side is just so strong willed and defensively solid and busted their ass and at the one time their classy players come up with the, the critical play they had one shot to win the game and they took it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think his frustration is more coming out like we've just made history with the first back-to-back premiers in 26 years whatever it is they definitely didn't do it easily they had to do it go up the hard way and yeah I think it's more frustration because Dobbo asked him I think on Triple M and they said he wasn't happy first and like everyone was hitting him with that question and the first questions in the press conference from Brent Reid and everyone straight away was basically questioning almost the validity of it all like or do you feel you know how do you feel about it like they bust their ass for fucking 10 months of the year like yeah. you know it's it's not really the greatest feel in the world when everyone's basically jabbing at you straight away yeah. from what was an epic grand final performance the whole run or block out a Raiders team, which was absolutely outstanding. Hmm. But Cooper Cronk, uh, what a way to retire. I think now, just purely on from a winner's p- perspective for what he's done, club football at both clubs. Yes, he's had plenty of good players around him. I don't know if he's going to get a status, but the argument as an individual, if that's what we're classing it off, not winning, uh, I still think Darren Lockyer, Thurston, etc. I get people the last few days saying, well, surely that gets you. A place as an immortal, but I don't think immortals should be judged on premierships. I think immortals are. This player was, like Andrew Johns, was a freak, mm-hmm. the best of all. Time. I'm not saying Kronk's not the best of general. Like he's one, he's the greatest winner to me, along with Cameron Smith, etc. From that kind of setup, and clearly it's been even more solidified because he's won the last two comps where Melbourne haven't. So his mantle is right up there. Well, I would not begrudge him being an immortal. No way in the modern-day game forty what he is and where he's got to from the way he started. Yeah. But right. I think the concept of Immortal, he may miss out. That's just my two cents. But he's been a hell of a player. He's been absolutely outstanding. Trent Robinson, this trajectory, like, yeah, again. Yes, he's had loaded sides since day one. Sonny Bill, Tedesco, these bits and pieces. But to manage those egos, to pick some kids up that they do and develop on the way through, 21 or 22 of that top 30 come through buying at junior level. like Yes, they do top it off with some top talent like your Kiris, your Descos and that, but they do a lot of work internally. <laughs> with the lack of juniors, they have cherry-picking kids at six, down at eight, and they're developing for a couple of years to get to the point they're at right now. Mm-hmm. So I'll give them a wrap on that side of things. But three premierships already, multiple minor, minor premierships. He's going to be there for a long time. He could end up surpassing Bennett, Bellamy, like his trajectory after – what is it, seven seasons now? It's from 13 to 19. Yeah. Already three premierships. Like, if he stays on this track, he could suffice. Strike rate's pretty good. Like, yeah. If he gets, puts a 20-year career together and He's easily... The most
0: imp- impressive thing is three grand finals, three wins. Mm,
1: he hasn't lost one. No. Uh, and <clears throat> how many prelims besides that? There have been two or three other prelims, so they're pretty consistent on that side of things mm. as well. They're constantly getting into the final four. The one blip on the radar was that horror off-season where Tedesco would go gone... Friend was injured, I think. Jared Ray Hargraves was injured, and Pierce was suspended. So, uh, yeah, yes, he does have a lot of quality he's disposal, but he's a hell of a coach, and he's maximising every bit of it. Uh, Whiten only the fourth losing man of the match, but you go back again and watch the game from all those carries we we're talking about. Kicking game outstanding, defensively come up with some absolute belters. Led his team from the front. His running game and the try he come up with. Uh, his <laughs> development this season is a big plus for Camera moving forward in, the, in a critical position. And I guess for them, more critical is a new half-partner next year in George Williams, who I still haven't watched enough of. I don't know how much of an upgrade it is from a Caesar or what kind of role he's going to bring. From the bits I've seen from international footy, he seemed more like a runner to me as well. Um, He's got some ball playing in him. He's more keen to probably engage the line than a Caesar, but I I probably haven't seen enough of him to judge his ball playing. You'd probably know a bit more than me, but I think that'll be something they'll have to work through maybe the first six to eight weeks of next year. Yeah. That's a big change for them. Yeah on these, both these teams are moving into next year the talk is can they 3 P? I I think the big question mark is how quick does Flanagan develop do they play a bit differently do they have more attack down that right edge with him there and then on the flip side of that the talk around Jared Ria Hargraves potentially moving on if Jared Ria Hargraves leaves this club and Ted in the way up they've definitely got still an exceptional top 30 squad but Jared Ria Hargraves is a huge loss
0: Yeah.
1: if him and Ted were both to go you're saying that Liu and Tokiaho probably start. Nat Butcher's obviously going to get more minutes, but that means next year there's a lot of pressure going on to Tupanua, Palasa Like Some couple of their kids are going to have to come on the bench and not just fill jobs there. They're going to have to be exceptional off the bench because it's having a knock-on effect everywhere. They've got the quality to fill the starting spots with two Kiwi internationals, but it will hurt their bench. And then you've got a young number seven who's definitely not Cooper Cronk. He could be anything. This kid Flanagan comes through the 20s, one of the best halves we've seen. But that's not going to be something that develops overnight. So they've definitely got some stuff to work on. But I have no doubt they're going to be a top four side again. That's my opinion. Yeah. Canberra, I think have got huge upside. And if I'm a Canberra fan, I'm excited for next year. I did not see this coming. Neither has Adam the Eight. I bought into the top four thing, but maybe not being a premiership threat. But if George Williams comes in as an upgrade and they can figure something out and be potent on both sides, their forward pack has been very, very good. Papali went next level. The Poms, they got to resolve this Bateman issue. Hopefully, that's not something that drags out or turns ugly. Charnes was excellent. They need to get someone in to work with him on his passing game to add into that, so he's a bit more threatening from the back of the field. Goulart and Horsberg. Horsberg in particular, the back end of this year, was excellent. His bench impact is outstanding. Goulart, people forget, also, only 20. If you get improvement from those guys, you've got two excellent interchange players straight away. And Hudson Young, once he's off his suspension, showed us this year that he was going to be a part of that bench. Mm. He needs to stay clean. If he can there's three exceptionally good interchange players in my opinion which already improved the Canberra side uh, I think the only real questions for them as far as moving on they we're hearing that Rapana's going to be moved on the two years prior you wouldn't have taken many other wingers in the comp this year after injury I don't think he was as good I think he started to find some form but if he wants the money that they were talking 6-700 at the start which he knocked back now they've had to upgrade players they can't pay him mm. but for them, you've seen what Simonson is and you've seen Kotrick playing the centres. I'd be happy with that if Leilua goes as well. I love Joey Leilua. Joey Le- Joey no one is as damaging or dominant with the football, but the rocks and diamonds and the best and worst, and we saw it again the other day, I'm pretty sure they'd be happy with more consistency week to week, even if it's a 7 out of 10 from Kotrick and Simonson. And on the back of that, they have two cheaper options in Matthew Tomoko, who played 20s in New South Wales Cup as a 19-year-old, and Harley Smith Shields, who's another kid who pushed all out the, the cup already. So they've got two very young guys who are already playing cup-level football and 20s level. Um, so I think there's improvement in both sides. I think Canberra, again, and in general, the competition for anyone listening to Australia, I don't really see a lot of change probably towards the top end of what's there. Like, you can't really like, – unless Cameron Smith retires from Melbourne, I think Melbourne are up in the top five, six teams again. Yeah. Manly, if they stayed healthy, I think could have pushed for the grand final. Parramatta I don't really lose anybody of any great note, and they've got a couple of good kids pushing through as well. You've got, you know, the Raiders, Roosters, like we just spoke about. South, I think, maybe a little bit of a question. I don't think they've got much movement as far as anyone they can buy, and they've lost George. Even you know, I don't think yeah, that's a big thing, but they're going to have to find improvement somewhere or find a kid or two, obviously. Yeah. But a lot of the top end, I don't see changing. <coughs> like, what what's threatening from the bottom? Like, I know we're a long way away. But I don't see your mob, unfortunately, Titans. I think the Bulldogs would be awfully competitive. And if they start that way, could be a team that is right on the fringe. The Tigers have still got a cap drama. There's not going to be a lot of ins and outs there. So I think depth in their situation is going to hurt. Newcastle, that's fucking... God knows what's going to happen. We've seen the drama at the back end of the year there. A new coach, they're getting brawler. They've got plenty of good kids, but (coughs) we've seen it go nuclear. So that's going to need a big turnaround in culture, attitude. Like, There's a lot of question marks. I think the Cowboys, the Valentine Homes thing we don't know about. So I really do think right now the four or five teams that were at the top at the back end of the season are likely to be there again, Mm. given movement, what they showed, etc. And the coaches. Generally, the better coaches are always ones at the top Bellamy, Robinson, Des Hasler, Bamber Stuart Stewart in this squad, etc. Wayne Bennett. You think they're always going to be somewhere near the eight or in the eight. So, for Canberra fans, uh, I hope this is not 2016 where they're one short and it falls over. I think this group's different, and I think they've got improvement. So, look out for the Green Machine 2020. I think they should be a legitimate premiership threat and improve. And there you go. That was massively (laughs) in-depth. Quick summary of the other two games. Uh, Don't want to spend a lot of time, and we're doing final fan questions for the year. We're giving you a massive dose here, and then we're going to have one last show to finish off. Obviously, our season reviews and our awards box here, but we don't want to be doing questions then. Um, the Jets-Bears game, the state final, was a pearler of a finish. Well, the Bears were the best team for 70 minutes, probably. <clears throat> you know the funny thing? like The Jets had more of the possession, more of the dominance. But like you said, with Trindle and some of the late injuries that a couple of guys have to pull out, uh, their attack struggled. They just looked a bit sideways. sideways. They couldn't really get it going. Toby Rudolph, who came down from Redcliffe and signed with the Sharks this year, the poor bastard did his ACL last year in this game for Redcliffe probably would have played some first grade he had a corker of a game 230 plus metres he got the man of the match and Jackson Ferris the centre has scored the two late tries for the Jets he's only 20s eligible as well playing cup this year like that, that side if you're a Sharks fan as I've said all year riddled with young 20s players for them Billy Magoulis he's played six the last couple of weeks he's been great Sianni Katara I'm a big fan of him. he had some moments Muli Tarlo. Obviously a bit emotional uh, of a player, but he's exceptionally talented. And Will Kennedy, the fullback, I'm surprised there hasn't been a club looked to pick up Will Kennedy for a depth option. But they found a way. Mm. And it was crazy the way it came about. They were coming after him for the last 20. Burley were absolutely cooked. You pointed that out. They're on their line. They were laying down. Their own shirt was on the field every two seconds, stopping the clock, and they were struggling. Um, Jamal Fogarty, after they conceded, who had a cracker of a game and he won the Queensland Cup Player of the Year, he kicks the ball dead off the kickoff invites him back down. And Trindle, who had a Barry Crocker with a boot and a game in general, throws an interception. You think, that's game over. yeah? And then Magulius, two weeks in a row, did it in the cup final, puts a chip kick in again. Three burly players there. There's no way Ferris should have got that ball. And he did.
0: Well, it had to bounce one way and it bounced it that way. It bounced
1: straight to Ferris. Uh, mm. Insane mm. finish, but uh, full credit to the Jets. They would have been higher up in the finishing stakes. They slipped in seventh spot for the cup there but as we know the knock on effect comes from your narrow side the Sharks were picking from it all year they got in late and then they ended up going on to win and they were missing Flanagan Jack Williams or another one of their heart like multiple other players they could have used so Mm -hmm. uh, it's a hell of an effort from then Burley they've got a core veteran group there they've been there for a long time Salima Luke Page etc Jamal Fogarty Uh, two premierships in the Q Cup the last three years and two heartbreaking ways to lose they got pumped a couple of years ago by 50 and then this game was theirs for the whole time. And they lost on the 80th minute. So mm. that really hurts. Yeah. Uh, and the NRLW game, the Dragons, wow, they were terrible. They were absolutely terrible. I think the easiest way to sum this one up is if you're going to drop the ball, play one and two every single time you get the ball back, you're going to lose. They just handed Brisbane the keys to the game, let them in their half, never got out, and in the first half, lucky you'd only be down 10 to. Yeah. They absolutely did not fire a shot. They were terrible. Uh, Brisbane, as they have been, all this way, consistent, and a huge out for them before the game. Their fullback, Chelsea Baker, the Queensland representative, was out of the game. That had to put another replacement in there. Didn't affect them at all. Brigham Shore, she's done. The lot first years, this competition's controlled everything. Uh, they get plenty out of their outside backs. Amber Paris Hall, the big middle, she's outstanding. Brando, who ended up winning the medal, she had a cracker game. Millie Boyle, uh, related to, I think, Dave Boyle and Morgan Boyle, the young manly player, cracker game, and Steph Hancock off the bench. But in particular, that three... Middle rotation for them, their big boppers just absolutely pummeled the dragons. But if you can't hold the ball, you have got no chance to win a football game. Plain and simple. Correct. They took <clears> themselves. <throat> it's not taking anything away from Brisbane because they clearly cut them to pieces. But they just they couldn't have invited him anymore. Yep. It was twice as many meters, six-one line breaks, like twelve to three on the off like they just gave themselves no chance to be a part of this game. The dragons and it was really disappointing because I was you want to be excited for all three contests. You want close games. The Jets game and the way that finished, awesome, tight game the whole way. The NRL game was obviously an absolute belter, but this one, you, you almost thought at halftime, even though it was 10-2, that this is probably going to just be a blowout. And, yeah. uh, congrats to Brisbane, two years in a row, first two years of NRLW, back-to-back premierships. So, someone's going to have to step up to the mark and take them on in year three, because so far... I got
0: that game wrong. I thought the Dragons would be super competitive and probably win that game, but... They never gave themselves a chance.
1: Well, on indiv- like, I know, individual, individual it's talents not like everything, but talk. they have the crux of the New South Wales side that's won the last couple of Origin Series, and they took the best player off Brisbane in Brittany Bray, who was the female player of the year last year, and mm. they took one of their front rowers, Federico, who also plays for Queensland. So with the additions... They got melted. And then getting Tiana <clears> Penitani <throat> from Rugby Sevens, and like their side was stacked. Yeah. But Brisbane clearly... I don't know what the women's comp is up like there, but I think the connections that they've all got, whether they don't have the superstar names or not, or as many as the others, they've clearly played together for a long time. Because when you watch all those teams, things seem a bit clunky, and it is a short comp. Brisbane seemed to be the most polished of all of them the first two seasons. So, yeah. uh, rightful winners of the NRLW. But that's those two games, mate. And we've touched on the NRL Premiership, the last thing to do, the last fan questions for the year. So, here we go. Let's jump in, shall we? McBall on Twitter says: "Storm choke or just not that good despite the latter? I wouldn't say it's a choke. I'd... No, they didn't
0: choke. They just got found a little
1: bit short. I think it goes back to what we said all year that yeah, no one else last year, <coughs> no other club makes the grand final with a manufactured halfback or without a halfback and gets to that point. Like they
0: probably they well they were, they
1: overachieved if anything.
0: I think I, th- I think they achieved about just about right. I didn't they think they with the
1: minor premiers.
0: Yeah, it was a reward for consistency. Yeah, they're awfully consistent. They were more consistent than the Roosters uh, across, you know, what, what, the 25 rounds. But we all know that top four is top four, and top four is probably, you know, f- the, the difference now between the advantage of first to fourth is pretty equal as opposed to what it was when it was the, the old McIntyre system. Mm-hmm. I think there was a bigger advantage in finishing first and second in the McIntyre system, particularly in the fact that if you, you played seven and eight and you yeah. basically they always won and went through and got that week off, what really hurt Melbourne was that loss to Canberra in Melbourne and the fact that they then had to play the week after and that they were well in that game against the Roosters and they went down by eight <coughs> uh, and they would have competed, I think, just as much as what Canberra did in the grand final. I think the Roosters, we all knew that the Roosters would need to be slightly off. Someone to roll them, and they were, and they were still good, good enough to win it. So full credit to the Roosters. I don't think we should downplay.
1: I think you also the Roosters downplay ended Canberra ended or getting Melbourne. Melbourne on their mm-hmm. side of the draw to get to the grand final. Yeah. So they got
0: it. Roosters beat the top four. They, did. they beat South. They beat uh, Melbourne, and then they, they beat, beat Canberra. The so that's it. You like you can't question that.
1: No. And I guess on the flip side, the Raiders also played the top four the way it worked out. The top four
0: were all played. I think they up, got yeah.
1: South at the right time, and I thought they maybe just nerves got the best of them week two. But, yeah. Another one for the Storm here, Lee Bailey. I think last week when we talked about it, he says he wouldn't put Smith into seven. Drame Hughes will be good enough with a preseason, and they can win a comp with him at seven. Like you said, Kofusi played his best football with Hughes at seven. I still think there's a lot of development. I think our disagreement wasn't... I still think they need a seven, long-term. But my only little point, I don't think they're going to comp with him at seven. It would take a hell of a lot of improvement, but they've manufactured one before. It clearly hasn't worked with Croft, but Croft was not an overnight project, and also we had a more talented team, I think, at that point in time, which probably helped in early doors. Yeah. Do I think Hughes is a... I think Hughes is a ripper of a football player. The problem is at Melbourne, they've now got Pappenhausen at one, even though I thought he started the year as close to the most consistent or best NRL fullback. Um, And now, what's his spot? Munster's E six. Do they play him at centre now that Will Chambers has moved on? Does Curtis Scott resolve the issue here with the club and stay? I don't know. But yeah, I think <clears throat> if they can't find someone, as we've spoke about, and they don't have someone internally like a Cooper John's they're keen on, I have no doubt that he's what they're going to do next, moving forward. But they, they can't do what they did this year because Croft, I'm assuming, is going to be gone. They're not going to be able to get 20 weeks in and change their mind. I think Hughes will get a full pre-season along with a couple of these kids. I reckon he'll probably get six to eight weeks. Yeah. And if it's not working, they're going to have to throw a Hail Mary or come up with something else, whether that be Cooper Johns, whether they go out and find someone else. I'm hearing that Riley Jacks has been chased back from your mob because they got enough out of him that they're happy with. I don't know if that's, again, enough to win the comp, but they're certainly going to patch up a few holes or give themselves a couple of options. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, with the Melbourne Storm and their recruitment there. Uh, Stav says, it's good to hear us disagreeing a bit. Obviously, that was relating to last week. Uh, And Paul Wainwright giving us a wrap here, saying you guys rule. When we said last week, we're going to the stand at the members bar and we're just going to try and drink 150 schooners (laughs) for the grand final. And we did. So we did do that. Enjoy that, mate. Thank you. Billy says, hey guys, love the pod. He grew up in Newcastle, living in Brisbane. Never seen a game in Sydney. Tomorrow will be his first. Oh, sorry, mate. I missed you on that one. He was asking for a recommendation on a bar. There's not... It depends if you were staying in Sydney.
0: I reckon I got him on the in the you inbox. Think you got, okay, I was going to say,
1: mate, inbox. I don't go to the city enough to help you out on that regard, unfortunately. So, if you, as far as near the ground, though, I'll tell you
0: what. There's been a lot of people who have picked up on our Melbourne recommendation. The
1: turf bar, yeah, that was a good time. <clears throat> that was a really good time. Dave White, Jack White had a ripper of a game. I hope you guys discussed the Weasel Waterboy in your set of six. when well, we, we talked about him. There's no doubt about oh, yeah. that. A couple of Canberra fans not happy. Fifth, oh, I think you missed one there. Oh, no, we got that one. Tom Lacey asked if he's not re- overreacting about the trainer and the 60 n call. He needed us to calm him down. Well, we were too drunk and watching the game to calm you down at the time, but hopefully what we've said tonight can cover a bit of that. Mm. Canberra fans saying, well, we originally called 60 again, so clearly not happy. And the same fan or one of the fans not long after saying, will we change our name to hashtag 60-go? Nah, no, no, yeah, we right. We'll stick with what we've got. Uh, Jay says Who does the NRL Bulldogs need to sign to strengthen their roster? Do you see them contending I think for if they could get
0: Jake Friend, that'd be huge
1: Well, I wrote that down actually From some, some of our last bits of gospel transfer news uh, Mr. Gossip said to us, the Sabo That the dogs are talking to Jake Friend So, it, it's a weird one, that one We know how much he's loved by the Roosters Otherwise they wouldn't have played him in the grand final Boyd Cordner apparently had a big part at Robinson Politis loves him, they've had him there since he's 16 years old He's already come out today apparently and said, I can't see him anywhere but here at the club. So uh, whether it has to come from Jake's side of things, if he feels like sharing time with Verils or they tell Verils he's going to have to take a back seat for a year or two, Mm. I don't know. But if he stays injury prone next year and struggles and only plays five or six games again, I'm sure they're going to get to a point where maybe they do move him on. Maybe this is a cap decision that comes and they have to sit down and be real about it if they want to keep Jared moving forward or someone else. But there's a decision coming soon, Mm. or in the next 12 to 18 months. If it's not this season, it's going to have to be next. But right now, who should they target? There's not a whole lot left on the market for the dogs to pick up. Uh, The one or two buys they did make helped their top 30. I don't think it dramatically changes their side moving forward next year. I think the most important thing, we've said this 100 times, is next year they're debt-free from the salary cap. They get all their money back. So next year's market, with the amount of talent that's coming off, and there's a lot coming off, uh, they need to be more... I think next year is another year where I'm happy for the Bulldogs just to compete. And I know that sucks for their fans, but their purchases next year are huge, mm. moving forward to the 2021 season. Well, the biggest
0: thing is don't rush into signing people. Yeah, just what, do what you're doing yeah. now. And this wait is for the right now, person like, to come up at the right price and pull the trigger.
1: They can't panic buy. If someone becomes available for the right <clears> price <throat> in the off-season, say a but right now for what's on the market, just wait. Because yeah. they can't get in this dilemma again. Johnny Samakis, does either of you boys ever deceit you in tackles think of players you? white boots has lost the ball in a tackle no no, nah, not with that one champion uh, how did this year's grand final length aside others of the past also this year's premier is better than last year's that's from Sat or Sint I think the Roosters team last year with the way they played in particular on the grand final how slick they were would have beaten this year's team like Brock was saying but this year's team had to overcome a hell of a lot of adversity I guess the changes in this lineup this year were, what, Madison mm. and Ferguson. And they swapped that for Morris. So, out of Morris and Ferguson, the form they showed, I think probably, you know, that's a pretty close matchup. Crichton and Madison on their form, they're pretty bloody similar sides. I think the bench was probably a little bit better this year with a couple of the introductions they had. So, I don't know. But they're pretty, they're, they're, they won two different ways, like you said. I earlier. think,
0: yeah. I, I think last year's team was a lot hotter at this at the back end.
1: They come in red hot, that's <clears> for sure. <throat> Stav, Gary Stav says, Can the Bunnies improve on this season? And he doesn't think Cody Walker is the answer. He likes Dewey at 5'8, but thinks they need a fullback.
0: I like Walker, but I don't think he's going to stay. So he might be looking for a 5'8.
1: It's going to be an awkward situation, I think, for them moving forward because apparently he's going to be on the market. I think they've already discussed money and they're talking that maybe for him to get what he's looking at, the big issue for a lot of clubs isn't the form at the start of the year, which was tops. It was the way he finished the season, the fact that he's a late bloomer. Like, he's already 30, 31 years old. So mm. if someone's going to pay him for three seasons or four seasons on seven, eight 800000 or whatever he's chasing, you know, I, I think also for Cody Walker, like, say again no offence picking on your mob but if he got that money say from the Titans I don't think he helps you right now I don't think you have the side like he needs to go to a side that has a good forward pack gets a good roll on so he can play off the back of it I think his best option is to stay at South and they should try and figure out some middle ground um, yeah. but obviously right. at the same time you're a late bloomer I can't begrudge him if he wants to get paid and there's an offer out there for him but um, I think they stick with Cody Walker I like Dewey at fullback I honestly think he can develop into a better player than what he is right now but I thought when I finished the year he was better than Corey Allen was and I thought he was better than Johnston. So, for now. Jeff, do you think the Raiders are a better chance in 2020? We'll touch on what I said before.
0: Well, everyone's got to go back to the start line now. Yeah? yeah. Everyone starts equally. and The biggest challenge for the Raiders will be, again, finishing top four.
1: Mm. And then... Like,
0: but injuries, consistency...
1: Ego, pers- mm. like There's a lot of things now, like this. And is there, to... is
0: there a hangover from that yeah. game?
1: This needs to be consistent moving forward now. Can they join the Melbournes and the Roosters and build off what Ricky's been trying to build? He wanted a tough culture, a consistent culture. He wants this group to bust their ass for one another, and they were trying to get rid of people and get a good squad and build off this core principle and working for your mate. And it seems like they've got that, but as I said before, Lua, that situation, Rapana moving on, George Williams coming, do all these kids continue to improve? Does everyone else turn up as hungry as last year? Does the Bateman thing derail a little bit? Does he get paid and play as well? Like There's a lot of things. And also, people know a bit more about your Batemans and these couple of guys and the way they play. Papali's got to back it up again. I think it's more just do we see them now turn into a consistent side year to year? Mm. We saw that one hot year again in 2016 and that took two years to get back and they've made drastic changes. But I think similar to that, are we going to see an improvement or as consistent a side in 2020 and I hope we do yeah. I really hope we do uh, Tomlins says I thought JT asked a legitimate question to Rob on that post-match yet he bristled got defensive thought Ricky showed strength and dignity in his presser had every right to explode what did you guys think of the way they both handled themselves I thought they both handled themselves well that one moment I can see why people were a little bit bothered but I think you've got to take into context as I said before Robbo's just won a comp, back-to-back premierships. His players have bust their ass, defended their way to that win and for the first 10, 15 minutes and everywhere he's been, everyone's just asking about one thing. It's not about the game. It's It's not about the
0: win. something that impacted his team.
1: It was just, did that ruin the game? Or was that about, like, you know, it's pretty hard for a coach after the work they put in to just be pummeled with that. A couple of people here talking about... An option for South would have been Luke Keery laughing, saying that bloody Coffs Harbour may have cost him a now three-time Premiership premiership player. So obviously some fans there, obviously not happy with old uh, Russell Crowe, who wasn't too happy with the NRL. He had his own little rant on Twitter. Did he? I'm sure that would have made... uh, What did he say? uh, Another bullshit call or rubbish thing from the NRL or something like that. Hort rugby league, horseshit game, something like that. You'd have to look it up, but... I just more thought for the Roosters. I'm sure
0: if uh, South won the comp wouldn't yeah, have shown that.
1: For all Roosters fans, I'm pretty sure they would have been enjoying even more the fact that Russell Crowe wasn't happy with what happened. But Jay Fleming, what do the Roosters and Storm have over the rest of the league that has made them so successful for so long? Also, do you see any other club challenging that dominance in the next five years? Well, I think they've got the two best coaches. I think they've obviously got key players and key positions. You've got the Storm who have Smith and even though they've lost two near immortals or world class players over the last two years they have just do a very very good job developing talent and getting people up to standard and steel sharp and steel that's why Pappenhausen comes in and plays so well so early and Kenny takes a couple of years to move into that back row spot and does and Nelson grows etc but uh, a bit like the Roosters obviously they've got a quality lineup, they've got good players but their young kids come in and do a better job early on because they're working with better players and training to a higher standard every day of the week than everyone else and that Word culture gets thrown around, but they have that and they've got consistency in everything they do um, across the board in the training paddock, in the video room, in the weight room, and they're just exceptional across all departments. There's no holes in anything those two clubs do, that's why they're in the position they're at. That word consistent uh, applies to every area of what they do. Yeah, I agree. And I could keep going on other different bits and pieces, but yeah, they, they are in the position they are for a reason. Dane Johnson says, hi, guys. Just thank you for all your hard work you put in. No bullshit straight down the line. Talk is not common these days, but you guys know it every week. Much appreciated, mate. Thanks, mate. Um, we've got a few people getting angry about that question about the Storm and Roosters as far as TPAs and all the other bits and pieces. I think we've talked about those things too many times. And-
0: well, the salary cap isn't even. No, nah, it's not.
1: <clears throat> but we're not, I'm not getting to that one right no. now. We're too far- the year's over now. I'm not going to calm down a little bit. <laughs> hmm. I am a hater. Thanks for the show as well. Thoughts on the lowest TV's rating in a decade for the grand final? What do you think the main reason I is? I've no idea. Every daylight saving. Throw everybody well, off. I'm pretty
0: sure it usually is daylight saving anyway. I, it, I don't it, don't that Sunday idea, always
1: man. happens. I don't know either. I thought for sure with the Raiders replacing, say, the Storm Roosters grand final, everyone was worried about it. it would have been huge. but yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, yeah, I know people. Hey, I don't know what either. People say that one decision throws them off. Like, I love football. <laughs> no amount of shit decisions or changes are going to make me stop watching the game. I get frustrated at times, but I love rugby league, so that's not throwing me away, but... I highly doubt that had such a detrimental effect to the point people are saying that's the reason why... Maybe blind, the, it just didn't. probably
0: tells you that the Raiders aren't as widely supported for camera, as what some other teams are.
1: Well, I'll put it this way. When I was <clears> club, no, but
0: like if it's Parramatta yeah, or, yeah. or...
1: Yeah, and that's what your point. Like for the regional area, it probably maybe would have gone up, but across the bigger I mean, a areas, lot
0: of those Raiders fans were at the stadium as well. I, I'm not sure whether that's something that's impacted, but...
1: Yeah, but I got... Because, mate,
0: the stadium was just chock full of Raiders
1: fans. I do get to the point you want... <laughs> I don't know, it's nine years ago, but our team manager at the time, and I think he's still at the club, I won't mention his name for his purpose, he used to blow up and say, we hate the Fox schedule on Channel 9 or whatever. And I said, why is that? And he goes, well, we just get the shit time slot with the worst thing because we're Canberra and we don't get a good view. Obviously, they weren't doing as well at the time, but he was just blowing up saying they never get a good run of Channel 9 games. They didn't get Sunday games or Friday night games. They always got the early Saturday game, which is usually the lowest rating or yeah. basically saying you're the least watched team. So... Is that because they're a regional team? Is that because they haven't been good for the most part of the last decade or so? I don't know. And like you said, did all the fans turning up for that game have an effect on it? Or possibly, again, it's because they're that kind of regional team like Newcastle that a lot of people elsewhere weren't interested in the game. Mm. I don't know. Storm, I think, would pull a bigger rating than what you'd expect from the Kiwi contingent they've got and also having a lot of state of origin players from Queensland, they might pull some people or that's an area that people wouldn't consider for when Melbourne players, obviously New South Wales hate them and a lot of people don't like them, but their team is made up of quite a lot of Kiwi and uh, Queensland internationals. So yeah. for that part, I think they may draw some viewers <coughs> that you wouldn't expect because I think a lot of Queenslanders would have them as their second team given the players they've had in the past. Could be completely wrong on that, but yeah. there's also a heavy uh, Kiwi contingent. But not sure, mate. Hopefully the the ratings stay up because the TV deal is coming around in the next couple of years and they don't want that to be too far down. Luke Smith, thanks for the show, guys. Love your work. If you're Peter Valenis, what's the first thing you'd do day one of running the game?
0: Uh, well, I'd, I'd get in and <clears throat> look at those few issues, uh, implement some new rules.
1: Seven tackle set look to drop the mm. interchange to six if they can find a way. They they've, Apparently they've done a study and they reckon it's not the go right now. They're but not I,
0: going to be able to do that straight away. I
1: think that's something we've got to be working <clears throat> towards. The touch judge thing, I think probably for Volandis and the main part of things is trying to financially get us some assets, try and find a way <laughs> to build some bank and put the NRL in a better position and then on the flip side of that, trim the fat. There's all these people with job titles and things we don't know about mm. and stuff ups like one that we've completely forgot actually with the Warrior Hargraves supposedly get the Clive Churchill medal thing think like what the fuck are some people doing in the NRL like it's an absolute farce the way some things are done but there's plenty of people with job titles or jobs that they probably aren't justified the best thing I think I can say Luke and this is what everyone knows about Valandis from what he's done at racing and everywhere else he doesn't deal with dead wood yeah. people are going to have to justify what they do or why they're there and I think there may be a bit of a trimming of the fat and some wages from the top and a lot of jobs that people don't know why they exist yeah. So that immediately puts money back into rugby league, grassroots and all those key areas. So hopefully. Uh, that is the case in the end. Chris Hayward asking, how should the NRL enforce player contracts? This is obviously one of those areas, again, they're going to have to address in the off-season. I think it's obviously probably things need to get tighter as far as breaking contracts. The trade windows that we've talked about, Brock, a million times is something that need to be addressed or at least two periods a year or three periods a year, whether it's start of the season, middle of the season, and end of season for players to be transferred for other players or contracts swapped if you've got space and another club's happy or cash exchange. I don't know what, but something has to be brought in. As far as regulating all this and moves and players switching agents, I think the biggest thing that needs to be locked down is the regulation of player agents and the yeah. power that a few in particular have. Like Isaac Moses fucking borderline hijacked green final week this week with the Bateman thing as soon as you've got control. We know that he's had that effect at the Tigers when he had those four key players. Is he the one, again, or is that someone else I'm thinking about with Seabold and all the Brisbane players, or is that Ayub? I forgot. No, I think it's Moses. But again, like, like, that's fucking ridiculous, that one player, agent, has so much power. Oh, Ooh, I think well. it's Moses, sorry. There no, needs no. to be more regulation <clears> on <throat> that side of things. That needs to be tightened up as well. But I don't
0: know. I, I try and stay out of all the play. You know me, I...
1: I know that, but like it's pretty hard to avoid these names when they pop up all the time. I but get it, yeah. it. It seems to be that a few of them run.
0: Oh, look, and I get phone calls run the game, from them, but I, you know I never get phone calls. Seeing how I am, it's always wanting a favour um, or wanting information. So mm.
1: but that's that's an area that certainly <coughs> I, to I try to
0: keep them absolutely at arm's length.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of good ones that you'd want to deal with. That's for sure. Uh, Dominic Coogan says current favourite forward and back.
0: Favorite forward.
1: I still love Jared Favourite back Tedesco easily I love Jared Jared's a nutcase There's not enough Just psychos Left in our game today And as a Melbourne man I do I've had a soft spot For a long time For Jesse Bromwich I don't think the last Couple of years Have been his best Nelson's back half Of the season And how angry he got Certainly uh, Made an impression on me I'd
0: probably go With Cameron Murray <clears throat> He'd probably be my favourite
1: well, We had that fan question during the year About who would be an immortal over the next 10 years Or Captain Australia or New South Wales And they gave us 2 or 3 names I did say Murray But you've made a good pick there Considering it's 10 at night right now And I'm mm. not thinking too straight He's a gun He's he's fun to watch too He's not just your you know I'm a straight up and down A guy that you appreciate what he does He ticks all the boxes And he's yeah. super young He's a hell of a player uh, Outside back I'm probably with Brock I'd probably have to be Tedesco Tedesco's a freak Again, on a, on a home front, though, I was very, very excited, but I saw the back end of the year from Pappenhausen. Hopefully that continues to build up, and that'll be, you know, something I really look forward to. Matt Greeno, how does the Six again call rate right against the flag up then flag down call that saw the Raiders data last year? The NRL officials were admitted they were wrong then. Why are they sticking by it ultimately right call when it's not what fans are angry about? Fans are angry that a ref made a call and changed it after we've been told a million times. Refs can't change a call. Well,
0: Well, yeah, especially when you look at Vinavalu and um, the Melbourne one in week one where they didn't change a call and they had a lot of time to do Mm, it. I think, again, it's just inconsistency around the decision-making process. This one was different because it was open play and there wasn't a stoppage in order to to make that change, I guess. They had to do it on the run. So I think the bigger howler is the Vinavalu one for me because I had so much time to change it and it was clearly the wrong call. Mm.
1: <clears throat> and it's similar to what we're saying here. We don't know if Canberra... And that one went in Canberra's favour. And my thing is everyone's going, well, the Storm didn't look <clears> likely <throat> to score in that game, so they probably wouldn't it have scored. I'm like, well, I make the same argument to your point here. The correct call was made as far as it did go back off a radar, so it shouldn't have been six again. Yes, you would have done it the one play, but you can't say <clears> that <throat> you deserve the six again... Wrongfully, and we don't know if you would have scored. You mm. can't say you would have scored. Like
0: We don't know whether we don't, Melbourne what if you don't know, we don't know, the know if they would
1: have, with. but they didn't get a chance to. But on yeah. the flip side of it, Same I thought thing. the correct call was made, so you should have got a chance to get a Melbourne were robbed
0: player. a set, Canberra were robbed one play. Mm.
1: But it wasn't a grand final. I understand that probably exacerbates it, it even more. But, but if
0: yeah. they score, Canberra then are in a totally we'll different We've denied the chance the to grand grand watch file. it,
1: and we've we'll denied similar here. We've we'll denied a chance of. Yeah. Uh, them putting that play in but I don't agree that people go oh, that should have just been six again because it's the wrong call we got the right call we just got there the wrong way and it's yeah. caused heartache and again I 100% feel the pain of the camera fans I really do uh, Scott Fisher any idea how the NRL can even up third parties really undermines the salary cap at the moment it seems Uncle Nick the Roosters do a fine job PS when Cronk signed everyone was asking how they could afford him and we we're told he took unders because he wanted to move to Sydney now retiring we're told he's freeing up a miller season doesn't add up well mm. He was a straight swap for Pierce, who was on about 900000 at the time. So, along with him, Sean, Kennedy, Dow, Connor Watson, they did have to let some guys go to bring them in. So, there was justification as far as the money side of things goes there. Uh, obviously, last year they let Ferguson, Madison, a couple of guys go. There's no doubt about it that they probably hold on to a couple more, mate. I'm not defending that, than others do because of the third parties. But it's one of two ways. I Me and Brock have said this 100 times. You either scrap third parties altogether and everyone plays on an even playing field, or. I think all the third parties or all their extra sponsors get bundled into one big pile for <clears> all the clubs or external things from the game, and they get distributed evenly. And if you make a decision to, you know, put that couple extra $100,000 into one or two other players or whether you spread it across three or four others to keep them, that's your decision. But, yeah, I, I don't know how they fix it other than one of those two ways. Yeah. Or they increase the salary cap a bit with external sponsorships, etc. Um and, again, people can make a decision about how much they want to spend on key positions or key players or whatever. But, yeah, it, it's never going to be a, a level playing field why third parties are sitting out there in the wind. They have to declare them. They are supposed to be above board, yep. Um, but there's no doubt about it. A couple of clubs are in a much better situation with that uh, than a few others. And it helps. It really does help. Mm-hmm. Andrew Kirk, thanks for the year, lads. It's been awesome getting your insights every week. Best <laughs> footy podcast going around. Much appreciated, mate. He says, After Layla was bombed try, in your opinion, a player's been coached to take the contact and look for contact when they offload too much. Quick hands will always win. Mm. Mate, in this situation, he definitely wasn't coached to that. I think he wanted the glory, to be honest, of trying to score that try in a grand final. Uh, It's a pressure moment. Some people get the blinkers on. You know, I I can't complain or judge in that situation. But if you're a centre and you get a two-on-one, nine times out of ten, your best option when you've got that winger held up is to pass. And he's got a quality partner outside of him who's played for a lot of years it's a simple two on one he should have executed the pass I think he just wanted to try and get the try and once he uh, kind of got his arm free and he was under pressure he tried offload and it didn't work out
0: yeah um, <coughs> at
1: the end of the day again under pressure I can't judge it because I'm not one playing an NRL grand final but from a coach's point of view I would have been fucking filthy that he didn't Kill her. take the easy option because that, that there is yeah it's a massive massive play in the game James Hughes, his teamwork and leadership aside, did Cronk do anything in either the 2018 or 19 Grand Finals? I feel if other superstars had those quieter performances, they would have been slammed. Well, I thought in I thought he was excellent last year. Last year, his influence was obviously you know his influence was huge. He was almost a decoy or a bit of a, a mental thing for Melbourne that he was on the field. They he was Trent Robinson
0: on the field? On the wing,
1: he got him around. This year, yep, yeah, uh, you know he defended. Did his job there. Kicking-wise, you know, <coughs> there was nothing exceptional in attack. No, he didn't create much. Like, it wasn't a great game. I don't think, like I said, I don't think either of the halves had a real great effect on the game, nor the spine for the Roosters in general. I thought their they're forward, uh, forward pack, in particular, those few players mentioned, Rhea Hargraves, Radley, et cetera, had big games, Tokioho off the bench. Verrill's had a good impact in his stint, but their two wingers. their set starts, their saves. Uh, yeah, it was actually quite weird that the spine didn't have as big an effect. Kiri come up with a critical play, obviously, as did Vero's at one point, but their overall impact and control in the game for the Roosters, no. Like, Tedesco's numbers were still big, but you didn't feel him have a giant impact on the game. Backing up for the tries, is his job. You can't say, like, that's... You know, he iced the game, but like, that's his job. He needs to be there. He didn't break the game open at any point. So, if anything, again, I'm more impressed they won the way they did. A lot of their... Key players were taken out of the equation right. or their strike players. Um, but Cooper Cronk, mate, it's more, I think, what Brock said earlier and what Robinson said. It's the stuff you don't see or you can't quantify in value. There's not a value they can put on what they've got out of him for club, for culture, for the learning for those key players, things they're going to take moving forward, what Robinson's learnt. Um, I think, you know, I, I defended kind of when they let Pierce go that I thought it was the wrong idea uh, at the time. And much like Brock, i got to eat humble pie. Whatever he's done, it's been a bigger effect than Cooper Crump, the individual in the football. It's had a bigger impact on the team and the club as a whole because they've gone on to win two premierships they couldn't win with Mitchell Pierce. So I think that speaks enough volumes rather than his play performance. Well, we've,
0: we've sort of probably argued a little bit about the impact he's had on the Roosters. I, I think he's still got the best kicking game <clears throat> in the comp. Uh, I think his effect on field this year has been to mentor Luke Keary and to make him understand how to manage a game. So... Next year, and I guess the real test of that will be on how well Luke Kirri steps into that management role next next season. So, what he did in the grand final, he didn't do a lot wrong, mm. you know. And as you said, it, it wasn't really a the game. No, it wasn't refereed to this, bring this those halves into the game.
1: Probably makes it a bigger thing for a lot of people when they're looking mm-hmm. they look at and go, "Oh, well, he didn't really put much into the game, and he got put in the bin." Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I can see that. It's that. I think that's a little bit narrow-minded. But yeah, it's that overall value. We go watch about. the
0: game again and just watch him. If you really want to have a have an opinion on it, I guess you've just got to go and watch him exclusively.
1: And I think the bigger thing, like I said, for Akiri, why I look at him and go, he didn't have a good game. At the right time, he'd come up with the one play that was needed.
0: And so. the biggest thing is the camera's not on him all the time. No. You don't see what he does off the ball. Kiri Offensively up. and defensively, where Cooper Cooper moves. like Those Melbourne boys, they're... The way they move off the ball defensively yeah, ball is unbelievable. Help the yeah, team like and then offensively, he's the he's there, he's the puppet
1: master. Yeah, agree. Uh Brett Sharman thoughts on what should happen if the ball hits the trainer during active play. We don't really have a neutral drop ball restart option, and a scrum gives one team an advantage. I would have a thought: a handover to the opposition would be fair. Love the show, and thanks for another great well, year. penalty. Penalty,
0: penalty. Why should why should they gain an advantage out of it?
1: What if the, I get back to what I was saying before that? What if the orange shirt's legit, legit treating? If it's
0: an accident, and, and he's on his way off the field, or he's... Treating, I don't
1: think you should be disadvantaged whether <clears> the attacking half. No, I think it should half. just
0: it should just be like a replay point.
1: Bring back the bunny scrum.
0: No, it shouldn't <laughs> no, be a contest with possession. I know. It should just go back to the previous, previous play. Or the re- replay or yeah, the replay kick. the point. Get yeah. off
1: the field, you Mick mock, or if someone's yeah. injured, we need to stop play. But yeah. it
0: never happens. It never. No. And anyone that's it's... legitimately treating is moved out of the way. Or his behind play. Otherwise, play stopped anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard one. But we can't have one. Should have been on the field. The other night, that's for sure. That's right. Sean Dennis, what's the best right edge in today's game? And what's your favourite attacking right edge from the past?
0: Well, any right edge with Mel Inger on it.
1: Yeah. I'd take that any
0: day of the the
1: week. As far as right edges that we have seen this year, I I think the two better right edges played last night. Uh, Leilua and Rapana have been so dangerous over a long period of time. And the man inside them, John Bateman, had a big impact this year. And I think on the other side, we've spoke about the last few weeks. The Roosters favor their left edge, but their right edge is heavily underappreciated. Joseph yeah. Manu is a hell of a strike weapon. Tedesco can play two-sided, but generally this year, most of the ball's been down the other side of the field. Uh, Orbison's pitched in there. Crichton's pitched in there at times. And obviously, whether it's Ben Morris, Hall, whoever's been on that side of the field, they've had a pretty good attacking right edge of the field. Off the top of my head, and I explained this to a friend at work, the other way, and Brock will probably back me up. The reason you don't see a lot of dominant right edges is because predominantly most people favor passing right to left. Yeah, There's exactly. not a lot of people that pass left to right. I pass left to right, um, but for the most part of all the teams or juniors now when you go to, majority of people pass right <clears> to <throat> left to a left edge. So you'll generally find that most teams' dominant attacking edges their left-hand side and their better defensive edge is generally that right-hand side of the field. Uh, it's strange, but yeah, there is rarely teams that you find are as good both sides of the field I think one that was showing promise earlier that we spoke about, but it was completely muffed by injuries all year, was the Sharks. The Sharks' first few weeks, when Moylan was sweeping to the right, to Johnson, to N'Cora, like that was starting to look early doors like they could be a real threat because a lot of, again, left-side attacks don't generally see a lot of the traffic in defence, so they're not quite ready for or not probably getting the amount of reps they probably should. But uh, for this season, I think we saw the best two edges right just play each other last night, probably in the modern day. Yeah. going back to the past I think like Brock said bloody hell Mel Meninga's right inside of the field when he was playing it was quite a dangerous one so yeah
0: I'm pretty sure Ricky Stewart was on that side of the field as well so
1: yeah, yeah. off the top of my head <coughs> Storm had some pretty good right edges when, when they had, had
0: Cooper Cronk Cronk and Chambers
1: was playing his best footy yeah we had Falau when he first came in, coming down that right hand edge as yeah. well. English, I reckon, played on the wing on that edge as well, at some say. First year he played out in the right centre in mm. the grand final, so we had some so, pretty yeah. handy right edges there with different combinations of back rowers. Ryan Hoffman in his peak form, Krunk, <laughs> Greg Inglis, Will Chambers. Uh, there's been some pretty <laughs> handy players. <laughs> Will scored buckets of tries the last few years, Melbourne's generally had a pretty good right edges when they've had two halves on both sides of the field. Yep. And obviously that changed the last couple of years without Kronk. Our right edge has been. Uh, clearly, a lot more quiet. Benny Lloyds, just saying thank you. Thank you, champion, for listening. Hayden Walker, predictions for 2020. I think mean, too much to ask for right now, mate. But My I think...
0: prediction for 2020 would be worry about it in February. Because like yeah, every off-season injuries, just throws drama. up so yeah. much shit, man. You think now, oh, we'll get a, we'll get a quiet yeah. off-season.
1: It never happens. And I think the main thing, Hayden, more than we said before, <laughs> if things go all about, like Brock said, I think that the top end's not going to change that much. That's probably one thing I'd say right now. But yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of water. We've got internationals next week and things where people could get injured. There could be shit up in the off-season. People get hurt in the pre-season games, the trials before things kick off. This is why we started doing our previews for the year as late as possible because the yeah. first few years, there'd always be one big call we'd make or a team that you'd have in the eight, even if you don't think they're a contender, and someone gets injured or fucks up and it just completely throws out every prediction you've made. Mm. So, Yeah. Jamie Dutton says Brock is going to have a ball here for all the fans so with the questions thanks for a good year and see you again uh, and again he says not a big question but thank you uh, it also lets me rip off a great league chat and ideas to have a chat in the off season Luke Fluency the centre position seems to be the weakest has been a long time State of Origin teams use used seven centres only three who are club centres and the game's best Mitchell has most of his good games against the mid to lower teams is it the least important position now
0: I don't think any <clears throat> any position is more or less important than others apart from your key positions. But mm, I, I do think the, the way the game's played tight. at the moment l <clears> y <throat> they're moving a lot of those players into the back row or onto the wing. Well, Whereas previously it used to be you'd move five eights five eights to the centers or yeah, good fullbacks who weren't, you know, maybe we second best fullback would go to the centers. Now I think a lot of those guys are going to the wing. Mm-hmm.
1: We got a few in the inbox that weren't happy during the week as well. shit about the ref. Six to go, but not not listening to the aftermath shit. Raiders got screwed big time. That was from Darrell. Uh, Stuart Bork sent a photo of the two refs holding jerseys. Sums it up perfectly. Roosters jersey. So again, yeah. a couple of people were not happening. And uh, yeah, Daniel Ryan said, it's, it's a letdown. You guys might disagree a bit, but I don't care. The refs fucked the grand final so <laughs> like I said before, bro, right. there's a lot of people that I, I hope they still keep this thing. I'm not going to go there they said, but there's a fair few people upset. No,
0: but people are so. also, they're, they're sending them at the time and they're emotional. Well, and some
1: of them aren't actually Raiders fans, but again, I, I think mm-hmm. the overall sentiment, I know a lot of people probably aren't a big fan of um, obviously the Roosters, but I can understand people's was most. Sean Chan sent me on a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't really get to it. I think after the back of We Said About Reserve Grade. He said reserve grade finals off the bat he'd like to be televised. I don't know anything about televising games, but I'm assuming the money it would take to get a Fox level production for cut would be expensive. Whereas rerunning a panel show is cheap. My counter to that would be play reserve grade, same ground as first grade, only cost extra few hours of staff payments and access to the ground. Obviously, like flag example, no one actually cares about the game as a whole. Short sighted from the broadcasters as well, in my opinion. A few years of consistent exposure maybe you build a following or more dollar well. I'd have to disagree that no one cares about the 20s because Holden and Toyota were putting in big dollar. Fox were getting games and they were rating just as high as...
0: Well, I care more about FLEG than I do the women's competition at the moment because the women's competition is only four weeks. The FLEG starts and, and runs all year. I think... So I, I would argue that if we're going to have the women's competition, which is hit and giggle at the moment, four weeks, three rounds and then a grand final... I would say that the flag deserve to be there just like the cup do. And the, I don't have a problem with the women's game being on grand final day, but to push the flag boys off or, you know, your old under-20s off, I, I think is poor. In my and, argument, and none of those games have been televised. No,
1: and the argument we had for this was native no Like the other day. Like, a lot of the cup teams now, they're top 30s from the NRL. They've got the best 20s kids move up. Like, they're stacked with players that are in top 30s or going to push through and are playing, you Get know, all that. And then under 20s, like a couple of years ago, they were getting money for it. It was being spot- The only reason they really scrapped it wasn't so much the TV dollar and all that. The issue they thought they found, it was placing too much expectation on the kids, for one. And there was obviously a few very unfortunate circumstances with players. And uh, the other side to it was, well, why are they playing on TV instead of Cup? Which my argument was, well, they shouldn't have been. Cup should be playing before each Correct. reserve grade game. And exactly, you just hit the nail on the head. Forget about the rerun of the cheap panel shows. Like, it's not hard to put a fucking cup game before an NRL game. They just stopped doing it, much like they stopped the 20s. Well,
0: I'll tell you this much. Like, the All of the schoolboy games this year were filmed televised. by... Well, hang on. But they were filmed and then called later on. Hmm. Andrew Voss rang me two weeks after...
1: Yeah, for names and for pronunciations, names and whatever Because
0: they call it in the studio.
1: And like I said, it wasn't... He no. was
0: there. They were there for the national final, yeah. which is fine. But that just makes sense. Like, send a few cameras out there... Hmm. Um, Even one main camera. You can just, you can can just watch. I'm happy to watch a game off just one camera.
1: New South Wales Rugby League do it every week. <laughs> they right. used to do it for 20s and Cup. They don't have to put as much exposure into the kids and interview them and put the pressure on that they used to find they had or make them feel like that's more important than why, why couldn't
0: they Why couldn't they do the same thing with one SG Ball and one Harry Matthews game a week? Put yeah. some commentary on it and away we go. We'd do it. I'd do it. Mate, We'd mate. happily call it and have it on Fox League. I
1: said this the other day to you. Panthers <laughs> the other year when I... Did a game A live stream for them Wanted to do Every New South Wales Cup game And it was going to cost them Bugger all The only reason they weren't Allowed to do it Was New South Wales Rugby League We're like Well this is our competition We're in control Of ridiculous. who controls And does what And it's like Yeah but there's not enough Games being broadcast Like Whether it's the 20s Whether it's the Cup Like the whole Ground, like ground hiring That's not even that's irrelevant Like all yeah. these games And teams are already there play your reserve grade or put the TV cameras there for a couple, like they used to do it they were getting money from some sponsors to plug the 20s or for the New South Wales Cup It's sponsored sure it's not that hard to broadcast a couple more games or put a few more reserve grade games before games to put more stuff on TV Yeah. so uh, yeah agree with some of the sentiment there mate but not all of it as far as people not being interested I think Plenty would probably enjoy having a little more football to watch each week and As far as cost is concerned, in some cases it wouldn't cost them that much because they just need to put them at the same grounds like they used to for the 20s. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, I think that would be a good idea, but appreciate the opinion. And Don Coogan, I'm sorry, champ, He sent plenty the last couple of weeks, but he had a big one. That's one we've been through a few times. His thoughts on Sharks to Perth, which we've both said plenty of times, we're not a fan of, but he had a dot point plan, and he's like, this is how he thinks it would work. Many people have told us ways they think it could, but he says they could play three games at Shark Park and pack it out. Make sure Magic Round game is an away game. That way, it's pretty much the same as most NRL clubs that take two home games away from anyway. Number two, he says they still play every third week in Sydney, so offer a three-game membership to away games around Sydney. Three, the Sharks, it's a good fit for Perth because they're a city of the sea and tourist for Sharks. Four, it allows them to stay in the comp, retain most of their identity, expand our game, ensure their future... In fives as a South fan and member, I could handle this kind of move if it was done right and ensures the future of my club that became so close to losing. I could also see Merritt playing more South games at the Central Coast and securing supporter base up there, considering they play away at ANZ. Thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think what's going to happen is one club's going to get into a financial pickle, and then they're going to have to work out the best way to either make that club insolvent and start again. In Brisbane or wherever it is, or at look at relocation. But <clears throat> I, I don't see how they move any team that is financially viable and has a supporter base. I think it's just it's going to hurt people and push people away from the game.
1: And I think that's. I was talking to a part.
0: Norse fan at the grand final on the weekend in the in the bar afterwards, and you know he spoke about how much pain he went through not having a team to support and. He was now, um, he he was still wasn't supporting any team. He was there watching the Roosters because that's the closest team. He said, oh, <clears throat> I'm i a Roosters member, but not necessarily a supporter. They're just a team that I watch now, but I'm still a Norse, Norse fan. So you've got these fans that are pining to support the game, I guess, that have been left burnt because we've, you know, torn clubs down previously, so... It's it's difficult if if clubs can't manage their finances and they fall over, then I mean you you're uh, I guess you you leave yourself open to these sort of things, but I I don't think any club should be forced to do it if they're financial and they're going okay.
1: Mm. And I think that's the big point. I was gonna out of all the points, I get the thought that's going into it. And if they were struggling, you can still keep some in Sydney, some over there, Perth, and the Sharks. There's a link there, hundred percent. But I think the big thing. The whole point of them shutting down for the next year at the, the club and the league squad like we said, is their development's going to net them $40 million or so. So they're making a short-term decision now, which is going to guarantee their long-term future. So they're not in a position where they're financially unviable. And I think the other teams that have been mentioned, you couldn't possibly relocate, and they wouldn't be accepted. So if the Sharks are safe, they're about one of the only ones, I think, that work name-wise and culture-wise to Penrith, but they're also a premiership winner and got 50 years of history. Mm. So I can't cop that, and I can't cop... South and I couldn't cop the Tigers even though they were saying about them struggling that's never going to happen and they're a merged club so there's two fan bases you're pissing off and alienating and then the other one's Manly who have got premiership history and have been successful in the last 15-20 years in particular Like if they're struggling or not they're not going anywhere so a lot of the ones that have been thrown up like, I don't think there'll be any Sydney teams being relocated whether people like it or not yeah. I think all the Sydney clubs will remain uh, if Perth comes in I want it for the right reasons Because we're financially viable Stable We've got enough players And we're expanding the game I don't want to be closing teams down Yeah Even like your mob Like I said before If anyone I think if anyone was going to be shut down i started again with the Titans But I want it to work there Something has to work there I know nothing has so far AFL's not working They're pumping God knows how much more in than we are But they're not working Titans and three other reincarnations Haven't worked An NBL team hasn't <laughs> worked The soccer hasn't worked But we should probably do A little bit more to help them like the AFL are I'm not saying a complete lopsided advantage and we obviously don't have a draft but they need to they need to do something but at the same time whether you like it or not now and we mentioned Salloway people don't they're financially viable they now have private ownership they're not in the NRL's hands they're not insolvent the Vrazzales and Darrell Kelly and whoever involved have got plenty of coin Hmm. it's just a matter of whether they can get the club to be successful on the field and how patient they're going to be with the money if they're willing to keep putting the dollar in they're not struggling for the money it's a matter of whether they get another two or three years into this and say, well, we're over it. We've got the cash, but we're, this just can't work up here. Yeah. If that happens, then the NRL will have a real problem. But the Gold Coast won't fail now because of financial viability. They're financially stable. So, again, you cannot yeah. force that to go. Unless that license comes up or they're available to sell it, they're not going anywhere either. So, all right, last couple to quickly punch through. Biggest improvers for 2020 for Max McAlorum. I think the one team we saw this year that already improved, but I think if they stay healthy, they'll be right around the mark, is probably Manly.
0: Yeah, I think Newcastle. I think Manly.
1: <clears throat> and yeah, if Newcastle were to get it right, considering the way they finished, they should definitely do a bit better. Uh, you know, the one I'd be interested to watch, the Sharks, after some of these changes in the way the year finished, that's going to be an interesting situation in the pre-season. Mm. Um, and if the Cowboys get Val Holmes, they get Val Holmes, Michael Morgan, Clifford hasn't have a good off-season, things stabilise a bit there. I think Val Holmes would be a huge injection for them. So there's a few teams I'd be interested to look at. Adam Chandler, two debacles in the grand finals. it time to tell the runners to get off the field and go back to one referee. We've just video ref for try-scoring.
0: No, we've gone too far yeah, down the path.
1: It, so I think we've come too far, unfortunately. We've said one ref a couple of times, but we're well past that now. Dinos Daniel said, how good is Cooper Cronk? He is an immortal. Just made him a life member at East. I'd like to thank you both for a great show. Look forward to it each week out of all the podcasts I listen to. Hoping this podcast is not filled with too much rooster hate back-to-back. Back. Roosters hate. There's no roosters hate. We call things <laughs> as we see it down the line, and we're not a fan of either tip the roosters. Yeah. Uh, Shane Attard, last one here. Haven't seen much of the dog's new hooker from Penaf Qatar. You guys shed some light, good, bad, and different. Great year. Keep doing what you're doing, minus the bickering. <laughs> uh, we can't agree on everything. That's right. uh, No offense for Qatar, but he was released for a reason. I don't think Penaf were really in a great position depth-wise, but now they've got Coruscant, Uh, And obviously, Kenny, they're going to push forward that way. Kenny was a manufactured nine, but was much better, I guess, just holding the fort. He's not very great (laughs) attack-wise, but with Corris out there now, yeah. Qatar's had a couple of years. Uh, I think discipline's an issue. Too many penalties in attack. Uh, I think he overplays his hand at times. He makes rash decisions. He puts in kicks that he shouldn't put in. He's all effort. I can't knock Qatar on that, and he's heavily aggressive in defense, but uh, I think he's too error-prone, and he's just a bit irrational at times with his decision-making. Yeah, um, but yeah he's definitely a tough bastard that's for sure has the ability to play 13 as well as 9 but I think for them I'd keep persisting with Marshall King for the time being I think he'll be the starting hooker for them next year and they'll have a few good kids pushing their top squad Jackson Pine pioneer Australian school back row. Jack Averillo a six a center uh, there's some good kids coming for the dogs you just need to be patient mm. in the next year or two there's definitely some product coming through if you're a Doggies fan there you go a thousand but we got him done for a huge show, literally almost two and a half uh, and I'll just quickly run through these bits box to finish us off sees that at Huddersfield was the tip before the grand final after the grand final do you see him getting picked up by an NRL club or is the Super League his option do you think a Brisbane or someone would have a swing or do you think he ends up at Huddersfield
0: uh, probably Yeah, probably at Huddersfield
1: Yep, I probably agree with you there. Uh, I heard about Chambers to Jack Rugby. Storm have confirmed tonight he'll be moving on, so I'm assuming that is now a done deal. Salary cap space open up for Melbourne. Interesting to see how that pans out, especially if Smith plays on. That'll be a huge uh, ramification. Seguiaro, uh, I don't know 100%, but I was hearing today that he's going to appeal. He thinks he had a tainted uh, supplement or something wrong there. If not, and it's a wada ban, isn't that four years? That'd be the end of his career, wouldn't it? yeah it's four years so he'd be he's in big trouble I thought it was only
0: two but <clears throat> they're saying it's four I
1: think White is four yeah so interesting see <laughs> what happens there but apparently the bits I heard today is that they're going to appeal it, and they think it was a tainted supplement um, that's always going to be hard the Bateman contract how this pans out quick one here we were talking uh, last week about this disappointing bad timing I will give him a rap for being straight up and down and honest about the situation and how he feels about it etc he didn't <laughs> play any bullshit or play any cards I don't think it affected the way he played I thought he played great in the grand final as well but apparently the deal done by the Pommy manager had you know clauses that said that at year one he could renegotiate year two etc if he wasn't happy or whatever clearly he's played above the value they've got but I was a bit bothered the way it came about this week and it didn't happen just because of the manager so for Bateman I think he needs to kind of take a bit of a step back and understand that they paid four hundred fifty thousand dollars to get him here. They still paid him $350 first year. So generally, it's about eight hundred grand outlay. Yes, he's exceeded expectation, but to come up with this grand final week wasn't good. And then now to hear the price tag of close to eight hundred thousand dollars, oh, I I wouldn't pay him that. What would you pay for someone like John Bateman? I'd probably pay six six, yeah, <clears throat> but eight hundred thousand off the bat, three or four year deal. I think that's. He's been exceptional, but that's a huge ask for the Raiders, given the investment they made to get him here mm. and fly his family over and make him comfortable and do everything they've done. I can understand his situation. He's come and more than proven the point. He won backer out the year, for Christ's sake. But, yeah, I think uh, he's going to have to maybe be a bit more reasonable, in particular, for them to maintain this group. If you come after one year, put a gun to their head, say you'll leave, one $800,000, like you're putting pressure on more people in the salary cap situation, which they're already facing right now. Mm. So... Pretty much agree on that. Rapana to Jack Rugby I had written here. Apparently that's pretty much all but done, going to Suntory or someone over there. So Yeah,
0: that's that's going to hurt Canberra.
1: <clears throat> It'll be a big year again for Simonson, who I think proved more than enough he can play. Um, but yeah, they'll need some consistency next year there. I think they've got some kids to cover it. Ted if he's pushed out of the Roosters, which is looking like what's happening, where do you think he goes?
0: I'd love to see him at the Gold Coast.
1: I think he's one that the Dragons could use depending on what happens with Jack and the cap situation I think there's mm. a few clubs that well, could there's, use a, there's a stack of clubs that could the use Tigers, him the Tigers if they could free like, some the money the Panthers up. could use him yeah if the Tigers <laughs> freed some money up from Madalena, one of those guys they could probably do with as a Ted type player uh, Lua. if you're Canberra are you trying to get him out after the talk was
0: yeah well, talk well, was who's going f- to fill the hole
1: and the well, I think Kotrick goes there instead of the wing and you put Simonson on the wing and they replace that edge. You've still got Croker playing on the other side of the field.
0: Mm.
1: I think that's probably where they're looking.
0: Yeah, I'm not too sure. It depends on what that relationship's like internally and I don't I don't know what it's like. So, <clears throat> Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And again, this is what we're going to see over the next three or four months uh, ahead of the, the start of the, the new year. It's just a lot of shuffling. You... Well,
1: I'll put it this way then. We'll go we'll go away from the Raiders because they're going to be shuffling. If you're the Bulldogs and they were supposedly interested, you're definitely not paying 600k for that lure.
0: <clears throat>
1: surely you want Canberra to chip in for some of that.
0: Oh, no, I wouldn't take full freight. No, no, no. What
1: would be, if you're a Bulldogs... I'd take
0: four. Couple.
1: You'd, you'd want at least a couple of hundred thousand off that, surely. Yeah. Uh Jackson Hastings, 23 years old, goes out the Super League. Wins the Man of Steel there, players player. Uh, obviously, not the greatest finish to his time here at Manly, which you know part of that was also on Manly side of things, or you know he wasn't completely guilty in that situation. Clearly, mm. had some issues or a bit of maturity things, but does an NRL <laughs> club look to bring him back? I Everyone, think someone will. Everyone's already linked him to the Broncos because every half has been linked to him. But if I'm a Melbourne fan, right, I didn't see him play this year. If you're Craig Bellamy, Melbourne Storm, you have got a 22, 23 year old kid who clearly come through with a high pedigree. And he can play football. Is this somebody that you would consider?
0: For at, the the right, right price, at the right price. In the right
1: environment. And that's like... I be, it, be, but I'm it be... If you're two, me and I'm a Melbourne fan, would you be happy? 250k, yeah. If roll roll the dice on a player.
0: <clears throat> but he's going to earn more coin over there. If I'm Hastings at the moment, I wouldn't be going anywhere.
1: Well, I think he's just signed with Wigan as their marquee player now. Williams is going you, go. so like you said he's, he probably doesn't have to go anywhere if he's getting marquee money.
0: Look at what Blake Green did. Blake Green was similar to Hastings. Didn't go in the same fashion... Uh, he, you know, got shuffled around to a few clubs, left, really matured, you know, for five or six years over in England, won a grand final, and came back and had a really good back end. You know, he's, what has he got? One more year probably at the Warriors, one or two more years. Well, I think... And I, I really think that Hastings could do the same thing. I, I wouldn't be rushing back for Hastings, especially yeah. to somewhere like Brisbane, where he's just going to be under. Yeah. Massive scrutiny,
1: and this is more. What I'm getting at, like you're saying. I oh, think if
0: I'm Hastings and Melbourne come knocking that's on the I'm door, then yeah.
1: I looked at what happened this year, and I haven't. I haven't got to watch him. You've seen more than I have. But I look at a team like Melbourne who may need a half. <clears> I know. I don't think he. I don't think he should have been the man I, I I saw his junior football. I know it's different, and I, mean, I know the pedigree he's got. But if he would be willing to buy into an environment like that, and he is a half, that's one of the places I think somebody can succeed if all things are in the right place for him. But I, I thought
0: d- Johnny Johnny Lomax or Lachlan Coote should have been there. Oh, well, there you go So you steal.
1: saw more than I did But that'd be interesting To see how that plays out I'm with you though At 23, good year Go to Wigan Prove that point again Take over
0: Farge, another one That had a, had a really good year Like they've won They won the minor premiership yeah, By like by 12 mile. points And I
1: said to you I'd probably agree with you I didn't watch him, But they, they must have stolen points That's probably the only way I can see that he won it Is that the votes went his way Because he played at Salford um, I'd say similar to you Maybe if someone Doesn't come interested now Luke
0: Thompson Yeah, there's like A whole heap of players. Stay
1: there play well for Wigan, do it two years in a row, and he's only going to be 24. There's still plenty of time for Jackson Hastings. Mm. Uh, dogs talking to Jake Friends, the one we mentioned earlier, that gossip sent through. That would be awesome for culture and the group for a year or two to have somebody like Jake Friend. I still don't know if I could see <clears> the roosters doing it, not because of Verrill's in that situation, but I think we've seen in the past that Politis definitely has an attachment to players. And early doors, when he got there, we heard that Robinson put the hard word on, friend not that he wasn't a good player but he wanted improvement in kicking game and other things otherwise he would move him on but apparently Pilates wasn't big on that clearly there's a different relationship now they're a different point with what friends achieve, oh, sorry, Robinson's achieved in his time now Yeah. but this could be an awkward thing moving forward if they think Vero's is the key and that's the way they find money it might have to be Jared but they're going to have to find a way to get money because they've got some more next year's off-contract players from what I saw is a pretty hefty list as well mm. So they've got some decisions to make in the next 12 months. Players like Manu, Latrell Mitchell are all up for negotiation as of November 1 this year for the year after. But basically, you're always working 12 months in advance for that reason. Yeah. So there's, there's there's going to be some shuffling of the cards, like you said, in the near future, yeah. I think, to prepare for what's at stake. And on that note, Penrith is still after Jared Rare hargraves and I think that could be the biggest off-season signing. We talk about culture and rebuilds and what they went through on this so he can just go on what I have had to deal with. If they can pull off that signing or if the Roosters are willing to let him go, which I think they've been saying to, I'd at least make him stay for the next 12 months until his contract runs out. I think that could be big business for Penrith. Real big business. Yeah.
0: If they can get him, I... I'm not sure
1: who's the last two going points to, want to leave. I've got here for you. The Dragons are talking to Lomax, but I th- I heard that things weren't too great during this year. didn't like <coughs> the fact that, that he was up and down between grade, which I find disappointing because I don't think he played well enough to justify staying up at times defensively or error-wise. He's a hell of a talent. There's no doubt about that. Mm. But as we talk about it all the time, talent and potential, when you get into first grade, you need to be consistent. The talent and the potential is more than there. He's a class player, physically gifted, he's a freak but he needs to be more mentally strong and focused during games and be more consistent but we already heard that he had a meeting with Mike McGuire people spotted him talking to him again at the Dalian Medals off to the side a couple of times and now the talk is that the Raiders are already in there for 2021 or next year moving forward so again if you're the Dragons are you worried about the situation is this someone you're really desperate to keep or off performances you've seen last year would you be happy to let him walk especially if there's money being thrown at him
0: yeah tough one
1: because I honestly think I th- I've watched him come through same deal but I thought games when he came in last year too many errors yeah. uh, defensive reads when he was at centre weren't that great when he played on the wing he dropped some ball they played him at fullback one of the weeks there he made four errors like, he's no doubt a talent is it the fact that he's still so young and he's learning his trade in the NRL I've got to be honest I'd, I'd let him walk but if they're talking big money and he's not happy and he's causing you grief like you, you can't pay on potential especially when you haven't seen enough in first grade just yet mm. Um I hope for their sake though nothing happens this off-season because they've still got him for another year. Yeah. Hopefully, next year's a positive year for the club in general and that positive environment and things work out and he plays to his potential and he doesn't go. But it's an awkward situation when clubs are sniffing around and you're like, well, I know he's talented, but as far as application, what we've seen on field, what's on the tape so far, and if he's kicking stones, it's a hard spot to be in. Mm. You can't overpay for someone that you're not happy with at the time, man. The last one, and I left it to last on purpose, the Broncos because we talked about them too much the last few weeks. But apparently, there's going to be a big announcement the next week or so about a retirement. And they reckon it's not Darius Boyd. So my guess is Matt Gillette. And if it's not Matt Gillette... Andrew (coughs) McCulloch. The word is that McCulloch, and that's why I didn't have this one, they reckon that Kearney and the Warriors are willing to pay full freight to take him over there. Wow. Which I think would be a mistake, to be honest. And... My I think opinion. he'd be good for the Warriors I think defensively But I think they need more out of nine For their forward pack They need someone who puts them over the Same problem we're talking about Brisbane You know Creating for them over the advantage line Get them forward um, But yeah If, if someone's going to retire I think it's either Gillette or Boyd Out of those four big names Apparently seabold has got his way He proved the point That when I was at South The top four or five players are the reason that we made the finals This year Our top four or five players are the reason we struggled Yeah. So basically they, He's getting the point across that like, this is our problem. This needs to be fixed. This needs to be resolved. Uh, Alex Glenn, apparently, offered to go to Penrith. We heard about Titans. Knocked back all those. He was offered almost half the money. Yeah. But he's apparently that keen to stay. He's going to take Purely it. because he wants to be a one-club man, and I think they're potentially looking at him maybe to be the captain, that he, they reckon he's going to take a massive pay Yeah, cut. and they're probably going to say to him, once we
0: move something on, we'll give you some more coin.
1: So. <clears throat> no doubt. Like I said, I don't have any guarantees any of that, but i got pretty good mail, So I think Glenn will stay. But the word about a big retirement, I'd have to think that's going to be Gillette or Boyd. Well, And Matt Gillette, you've got to think, right? He's been absolutely exceptional, but he's come into this season off a bad neck injury. I know he found his way back to Origin. He didn't finish that series. He barely played at the back end of the year. Like a neck injury is nothing to be playing with. Mm. So if he's struggling physically and he's got that and he's come off a year where he struggled to stay on the field, at 31, 32. I'm sure he wants to obviously see the rest of his money um, but I don't know if that's an injury retirement or a medical retirement or something they found a hole for but if there's one bike's going to be retiring, I'd have to think it'd be him or Boyd but the mail is just definitely not Darius. Yeah. So some stuff to happen at Brisbane in the next few weeks. Surprise, surprise. What's new? And we'll have to wait and see if the half situation plays out because like I said again, everyone's linked every single player under the moon. Apparently Croft is the most likely. People... Talked about Caesar and that that grand final performance could make them look at him. I think they're smart enough to see what he put on tape the last couple of years and not go too crazy about that. And then straight away again, people mentioned Jackson Hastings as soon as he won that medal. So mm. um, yeah, there you go. Whew. This is a huge show, uh, but this is what we do, bro. And to wrap things up, I have to thank. The Penrith Solar Centre. They say defence is the best offence. So, what defence have you got in place against a nasty situation of rising power bills? Penrith Solar Centre is Western Sydney's leading solar specialist. Last year, little control of your team's outcome. The expert team at PSC are devoted to giving you control of your power bills back. Let the sun work for you, your home, and your back pocket. Save thousands per year in costs. It may be the difference between good or great seats. When you go to watch the grand final, which is now 12 months away again, mm. contact the team today at on 1800 20 29 30. Discuss how they can make it the real winners this season. www.penrisol.com.au. We've had a few people send us some photos box. Gary, <clears throat> sorry, Gary Stavrakis, who was on uh, Twitter before here, got a system a few weeks ago. Wayne messaged messages during the week said the boys are absolutely outstanding. So if you're mm. in Western Sydney, get on board. And to the Pro Sports Syndicate, shout out to Will. Matt, the lads there again, keep your eyes out for those best bets and promos. Uh, I think the back end of the year, there's been a couple of issues with the websites and whatnot. But in particular, if you like the NFL and the college football now that the NRL has done, they've had a massive past two years from the insider, the NFL guy and the college insider. They've achieved profit margins of double digits and over... Uh, and they've had a great hit rate last year with the best bets that are put up there. I think they hit almost 80% of the NFL best bets, Boxhead. So we have mm. to thank the Pro Sports Syndicate again for their support <coughs> of the podcast. Keep your eyes open for their packages and everything. They do, and maybe some Spring Carnival promos, which they've also done the last couple of Oh, years. yeah. And that's what we're on to now, mate. We love the NFL. We love the horses. One more show to go, Boxhead. Um, oh, more. Later in this week or either early next week, we will do our reviews and our reward show, and that'll be us for the year. And unfortunately, or not unfortunately, we still love it, but there's no off season for us. We're about to head straight back into junior up season. We are, yeah. So we're going to get even busier than what we are right now.
0: Correct. <coughs> Correct. There you Looking go. forward to it. Massive. Good grand final, good season. Uh, well done to the Roosters. Raiders fans, you should be enormously proud. Uh, I had a good feeling about them. I didn't think they could win the grand final, but man, they uh, they almost did. I said, they like, almost did, and that's a building block for them. There was an old saying you used to have to lose one to win, win one. one. Yeah. Uh, that's, if anything, that, that's a perfect example of losing a close one mm. and just having that burn for 12 months and having them come back bigger and stronger, hopefully.
1: And there's definitely still room <laughs> for improvement, and hopefully, if they get growth out of the Horsbergs, the Gullers, the young guys we've talked about, that already elevates your side without making signings. Mm. And if George Williams is even a little bit better than Caesar and can open up that right side a bit more, then we we're, were in business. Yeah. the Raiders will be a genuine threat Nickel Klogstad another full pre-season work on that ball playing there's lots of areas I can bring up that are positives if they come back with the same attitude and buy in again yeah. Canberra's looking very very really good moving <clears throat> forward Roos is exceptional yeah one more show from us coming up as I said uh, sometime later in this week or next week we'll post up about that at the time and then we'll say our thank yous to the fans and everybody else and our sponsors and more importantly Boxhead for listening to me fucking talk shit for the majority of the time each week but the season has come to a conclusion and uh yeah I forgot one more thing actually and it's what did you forget mate? we forgot the Australian side what did you think? did you see it?
0: <laughs> yeah no I did I did see the Aussie side
1: I think Anyone, I saw some people that I didn't played. mind I think there was 15 New South Wales players I think a lot of people Yesterday were like <coughs> Oh this person like, you got to understand People have had surgery Some people are injured I think the one area A few people were like Looking at our front row stocks But like we're not doing that Great in the front row stocks If you look at the Origin series Maguire played as a middle Papali who's now turned Into a genuine middle Used to play more Lock Back row He obviously picked up A pec injury Potentially in the grand final He might be out So they're talking about Dale Fanu can come in To cover him it's not unusual that in these rep games they have locks come in and play that middle rot Like, it's, you know, that's pretty stock standard. Yeah. But there's six debutantes potentially. You've got Payne Haas, who no surprise. He was exceptional. Paul Vaughan gets in after a couple of years of playing Origin there and being consistent. Uh, Whiten and Kotrick. I think Kotrick may be a little lucky, but I can understand with the injuries. <coughs> um, they're probably going for a combination there on both sides of the field. So he's got Luttrell back in to play with Carr I'm guessing, on the left. They play Origin together. They've got a connection, Corder with the inside back row, so that makes sense. And on the right side, Whitener with the centre, so I'm assuming he's picked Kotrick on his age and ability. You can't say Gagai deserves that spot. Uh Ferguson, why great for Origin, I guess, moving forward, heading into World Cup year, they're probably looking for some youth. So they've probably given him that tick of approval there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of guys obviously missing for surgery. Mm. kiri's potentially going to be out. Munster may pull out. I don't know what happens there. As far as halves. Ben Hunt, I think, is probably the only one I really looked at and thought he was lucky. But they're looking at him, obviously, as the utility to cover for nine. In my opinion, Cook just plays for 80. And if you've got Murray there, he can cover that position, and I'd rather have Wade Graham as my utility. Yeah. So, all in all. Yeah, no, the side I thought looks good. It's (coughs) it's definitely got some fresh legs in it, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: I can't argue with the majority of the selections there.
1: Yeah, the women's side looks strong as well, and the 23s concept, I like that. We both... I think we're a fans of that concept. Yeah, absolutely. And same deal again. I had people blowing up yesterday, going, "Why is this guy like?" You don't know who's had surgery, who hasn't. Like Sherry, uh, there's lots of guys like that that weren't named. Flanagan, I think, has had surgery. Nathan Cleary's only 21; he could qualify. Like it could be even stronger, but you don't know clubs' off-season surgery lists, injuries, other commitments, weddings. But like, there's some things that come in for some of these guys that end up being more important. But I like the concept of the under 23s. It's a genuine pathway for those guys to move into. Uh, You know, future rep jerseys, and I think France are going to have their hands full Mm. with the side we're sending over, in particular that young forward pack, it's absolutely ridiculous and if you want to look at it even more in the actual kangaroo side we have three guys I think that qualify to play in the 23s team, Payne Haas is only 19, Cameron Murray still qualifies for it, and I looked at someone else yesterday Kotrick still qualifies for the 23s that's pretty scary to think that we have three or four guys that still qualify to go back and play in that team Plus the ones that aren't available, like your sherry's, etc. So yeah, uh, <clears throat> looking forward to those internationals, which I will probably have to try and find a bar in the US, Brock, to watch. You will, and I miss the Nines as well. The team for that, again, people can make plenty of arguments about disagreeing or agreeing, but I just think that concept full stop is going to be exciting. Yeah, it's going to be good.
0: I'm heading along, so can't wait.
1: <sighs> there you go. Now we'll wrap it up. Right. <laughs> <Mate, clears throat> Thanks for sticking out for another late night. Only uh, one more to go. One to go. So no more late nights. <laughs> I'm coming after work and having you having to have your ears bleed because I talk way too much shit. But to all our listeners out there, thank you very much for the season as it is. What an absolute ripper of a grand final. I know it's Martin controversy, controversy. Let's try to look at the positives. It was a ripper game, two ripper sides, both going to be contenders again next year. Tune in for our last show upcoming at the end of the week. Or early next week, where we review all 16 clubs, how their seasons panned out, what our thoughts are heading into the off season, and then our awards the fifths, our player of the year, our teams of the year, and some other awards as well. But for now, enjoy your week, and I can still say enjoy your rugby league because there will be more league The PMs 13 and a couple internationals, so enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on, give us more, give us more. Where are you going? What's going on here? Is that it? Is that it?